Alright everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. You'll notice the theme song there was not exactly the theme song to Star Blazers. I screwed up. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host this week for another mini-sode is Tony. How's it going, Tony? Hey guys, it's me. It's going alright. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> we were joking before this recorded that, uh, somehow I hit accidentally, I hit record while I was changing the speaker. And for five minutes or so, it was just me randomly talking about how shitty the weather is, and that's about it. Yeah, um, you should see him going. It was bad. <laughs> yeah, I'd, uh, that would have been the worst episode ever. Oh, they're just bitching about all the rain. What does this have to do with <coughs> cartoons? This sucks. I'm never listening again. All right, so this episode is our fan request episode, um, something we kind of put on the back burner. It uh, It is the holidays, so it's a little busy. Uh, you've had school, and I've had 50 hours a week of retail hell, and, uh, yay, it's almost over, and, uh, it's finally time to get these fan request episodes out of the way. First one is Star Blazers, a.k.a. Space Battleship Yama, Yamoto? Am I saying it wrong? Yamoto, yeah. Yamoto. Now, um, I watched the American version from the Voyager DVD collection. Did you, you watched the originals, correct? I watched the uh, originals uh, in Japanese, and then I also watched the uh, remake that they did recently, the uh, Star Blazers uh, 2199, which, surprisingly enough, was very true to its source material. Nice. Did you, which yeah. did you prefer, though? Um, honestly, I preferred the newer one, mainly because uh, the original, though slightly dated, um, I felt like suffered from some of what anime did early on that was a problem, was they didn't really know their base uh, viewership, and so they are both directing it towards adults with terminology and kids with some of the crazy characters and yeah. aspects of it. That's, and so, yeah, that's when, actually my, my yeah. fault with a lot of these, is that it seems to try to be everything to everyone, and it, it, it I can't catch into it. Yeah, we're in the case of the newer remake, they set, they stayed close to their source material, and then they they made it more mature because they knew that a lot of their audience was people coming back to it, and they also knew that the you know larger portion of the audience were more of the teenagers to mature adults to watch it because there were some aspects of it that was a little much for younger kids to yeah. understand. Well, I think I I don't know if Voyager tried to redo it, but I know that it was edited to death for the American audience. And I found it a little frustrating. I was, uh, I got into the first couple episodes, but after that, it started to lose me. Part of it's the incoherency. A lot of the stuff that's been edited is meant for kids who don't really like deeply think about things. They just want more of the flash. I'm sitting here just mm -hmm. going, wait, no, wait, hold on. Uh, the last episode contradicted what just, us, you know, what happened and everything. And plus, the comedy style of, you know, the audiences are completely different. Yes, yes, oh yes. So sometimes I'm like, oh, that's that's a bit big, but it's also from decades ago too. Things have changed with comedy. Now things are a little more, I want to say, flatter, a little more restrained, and it's a lot about the dialogue. Whereas if you go back to comedy, especially on television, a lot of it was about the physical humor, and a lot yeah. of animation is like that, so it hurts it. Yeah, like it just it felt like the the animation style that it had at the time didn't really fit the. Uh actual um like just storyline and aspects of it i mean you look at similar things that came out in the era and you'd have like you know mobile suit gundam where you know like it was a little more of mature style or like even like uh, macross at the time and then you had yamato where um like it seemed a little 
extra cartoony in some aspects, and then other aspects where you'll have like just very technological, like the ship and the robot and things like that, and you're just kind of at a at a loss for who their actual target audience is. Yeah. Well, sci-fi was going through a weird phase because we had the contradicting views of Star Trek and Star Wars being so popular at the time. One is more fantasy and family-friendly, and the other one is more uh, almost hard sci-fi. You know, is, is this actually possible? Let's, let's get into the science of it instead of the fantasy of it. And the cartoon tries to bring both of those together, and it does conflict. Yeah, what I really enjoyed though was I, I I have a lot of uh, a lot of friends that really love this, and there's some of the some of uh, the older generation, and a good portion of them are actually like naval friends, and yeah. I can actually see why a lot of naval friends would actually enjoy this. I mean, a lot of the military structure is there, a lot of the you know just like aspects of day to day life is there, and you know like life on a ship and what have you. And I thought that was kind of a cool aspect to really see in you know a space format because like even in like the second episode they make reference to the original ship yamato they reference world war ii and they have all that you know talk and comparison and it's kind of interesting to see you know the japanese put out this aspect of this giant you know attack happening and it kind of reflects the uh world war ii the bombs the nukes and all that and just seeing it in different aspects also seeing the officers of the enemy team that they aren't like American naval officers, but they're actually German naval officers. So it's kind of a, you know, like are they seeing the the Germans who you know brought them into the war? It was more of the enemy at the time, because seeing as the officers are wearing German apparel more like more more seemingly than American apparel. Yeah, and, and the visual aspect of it, if you're just looking for eye candy, there's nothing in there that doesn't grab your attention. It's it's really fresh. Even now, it's still fresh. What's funny is that this was delayed by five years from when it aired over there to when it aired over here. And if you think about the plot, do you feel like Battlestar Galactica is kind of ripped off some aspects? See, there, there are moments where things align so well, you can't help but feel that the similarities are out of hand. But uh, I think this is an instance. this is an instance to where it just happens to be that two people from across the world thought of something very similar and had very similar aspects. Uh, there was something very similar like this that happened recently uh, with, uh, well, recently, like five, six years ago, with uh, Neil Gaiman's Book of Magic and Harry Potter. There was, like, a ridiculous amount of similarities. The young kid, uh, Magician Supreme, scar on his eye, glasses, blah, 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 blah. And it just came to the fact that they just happened to be two different people from across the, across the pond with completely different you know, aspects of life, and they just happen to come together with the same idea. I think it was more along the lines of that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are aspects, though, of film and TV that have directly ripped off Japanese films, and they never bought the rights, they never gave them credit. Like, uh, Seven Samurai was taken and turned into Magnificent Seven, and nobody was paid for mm -hmm. it. Uh, $50 yeah. is from Yojimbo, so I, always, I wondered, while watching this, if Glenn A. Larson had seen the concept of this and broke it down, but you're right, it still could be, there's enough difference that it's not um, a direct ripoff. Yeah, but I mean, you're also right, too. There's there's a lot of instances where you'll just have these movies where a lot of the American viewers won't know that there is an original subject. I mean, another instance is uh, The Departed, which did pretty well here in America, 
but was actually based off of a Chinese film that came out, I want to say, five, six years beforehand that no one bothered to watch and no one knew about. And I was like, yeah, no, I mean, it was literally, like, based entirely on that. Uh, it was called Infernal Affairs, I believe. Which really is good movie. Better. But... I, mean, I know it sounds like all hoity-toity and hipster to say it, but that is better than The Departed. Departed's really good, but that first Infernal Affairs is excellent. I don't really care for the sequels, though. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're to watch Infernal Affairs, this is a situation to where the sequels aren't standalone very well, but if you watch them all together as one run, it was kind of made to be a one-run watch. Yeah. The, uh... But going back to the subject of Yamato, I mean, uh, it, for me, personally, it was a very hard watch. Uh, I, I watch a lot of old stuff. I've watched a lot of old anime, uh, Vodoms, uh, you know, Gundam, the original Gundam, uh -huh. and just trying to get back into the mindset of enjoying this was really tough for me. And I just, I don't know why. It just, it might be because I didn't really live a lot of those aspects and I hadn't really, you know, experienced a lot of those things. But uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was tough for me. To be fair, we both delayed this by a month. We talked yeah. about this, maybe more. I think we talked about it in October, getting around to this. There were some things that got in the way, but I was like, I was in no rush whatsoever to watch this. I was like, Ugh, I guess I'll renew it again. I got my copy of the first arc um, from the library, and I was like, renew, renew, renew. <laughs> I watched two episodes. I found myself literally reading a Teen Titans graphic novel while finishing episode like seven or eight. And I felt terrible. I felt terrible for anybody who is a huge fan of this. But I'm sure there's a cartoon that I adore that you're like, ah, oh, crap, I can't get through two yeah. episodes. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's one of the reasons why like I didn't want to just come in on this like extra negative and just yeah. bash on things that I didn't like. Because I have a lot of friends that really enjoy this. And we're doing this as a uh, as a request, too. So whoever's requesting us is, is a listener. Yeah. So, you know, like, I respect your opinion because you've listened long enough to actually, you know, send us a request, which, thank you, by the way, that's very awesome of you. Um... And so, like, just trying to sit down and be like, okay, you know, just, just like, don't don't bash this because this isn't yeah. a bad series. This is a well-beloved series with lots of toys and a lot of backing. And, you know, this is like Star Wars or Star Trek. Maybe yeah, I just yeah. can't get into it because I'm in the wrong mind place. Well, what I like about the show is that it does have full season arcs. Most of the cartoons, I would say 95% of the cartoons from this era, 70s and 80s, had no arcs. It was one and done, and then the next episode, nothing. There was no repercussions. This is a full arc every season, and um, all three seasons that they had match up to one storyline. It's a triptych. It's it's one yeah, of the that, only triptychs in animation. Yeah, that that's one of the few times where early animation, like not like late animation, where we talk like Darkwing Duck, where there's like continuous repercussions and what have you, but like early animation, Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes, there was really no continuity out of it. Where you have in the Japanese animation, where like they'd have these long arcs that go across, and they'd have these huge storylines that, like, that was very episodic. Although on the back burner portion of it. Some of the episodes early on in uh, Yamato, like the first four or five episodes, like they just keep jumping ahead, like jumping portions of it. You know, like episode one, they get plans for a new engine. Episode two, engine is built, and you're just like, what the hell happened? Episode three, ship is built. When did they build the ship? <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, the one thing that uh, bugged me a little bit, okay, so she can send. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm jumping in the story. Uh, if you haven't seen this, there is a queen on the planet Iskandar. Iskandar? Uh, she, she is offering this thing called the Cosmo DNA machine, which can basically save Earth. Oh, uh, let me rewind a little bit more. Uh, aliens have basically blown up tons of stuff on Earth. The radiation is killing the planet. Everybody who's still alive is in the planet, like underground. 
and basically they're given a chance to survive because this queen from another planet offers them a machine that will save Earth, and then a small group of people are going to do an experimental ship up and get the machine. But she sends the plans for the ship, but she doesn't send the plans for the Cosmo DNA machine. Why not just send them that instead? You know, I'm going to say that the egg, that the plans for the engine for the ship, um, was like, you know, like, two megabytes, and it was like an eight gigabyte data file, and she just couldn't transfer it. <laughs> Do you guys have zip drives? Anything? Uh, yeah. Give the cloud? It's like, yeah, this, yeah, this, 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 is, this is the 70s, you know? And like, the fact that they had data on an object like that, where, you know, what, 30 years later, yeah. we have little, like, thumb drives, is like, huh, this is like some of the early thumb drives, because this is literally like just like an object with data on it. I was like, that's kind of interesting to see so early on in, you know, just history in general. The, uh, the adaptations for this to comic books, I was looking it up, and most of the companies I haven't heard of, but there was one, uh, Comico. Do you remember them? They were kind of up and coming in the 80s. They did a bunch of the like, anime ad- adaptations and stuff like that, and they just Honestly, like, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I probably own a couple of their, uh, of their, of their magazines because I, I just collected them back then. I wonder how many of the 80s companies are still alive. I think only Dark Horse. That did anime, did manga, what have you? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, just any of the '80s comic book companies, because that's when independent companies started going direct to the comic book store, and instead of on the the racks at the grocery store, or, you know, drugstore, or whatever. And all of a sudden, True. Like, like starting like 1981, 82, all of a sudden all these companies started to pop up that were doing like niche audience stuff, you know, stuff that had nothing to do with superheroes, lots of uh, you know adaptations from uh, manga. And yeah. uh, old TV shows, stuff like that. You know, they're grabbing like the Planet of the Apes, Green Hornet, you know, stuff like that. And then by 91, 92, Image destroyed like all of them. And uh, Yeah, just swallowed them all up. Yeah, I think Dark Horse is the only one still standing. But there was a while there where Comico, they had Grendel, which is still around, and Mage, which I'm not sure is still going. Is that done? I, I, I think they'll do like a one-off every now and again. But for the most part, I think the storyline is pretty much just... Complete, yeah. Yeah, and they would do. They did Robotech, Johnny Quest, and they also continued the story of Star Blazers in comic book form. So I'm sure you can find them probably in a bundle on eBay for like five bucks. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to say is usually this is the part where we kind of wrap things up, but uh, the voice actors, for the most part, I didn't recognize any of these names except for two: Billy West who is very well known for Futurama and Ren and Stimpy. This is one of his very first roles. He is in season three. And then uh, Rene Abajanis, uh, he did a ton of voice work, but most people know him from Star Trek, and uh, he was also on Benson for like seven seasons. And then uh, my two cents, uh, though you didn't get to hear it on this episode, the theme song in both uh, English and Japanese, and this is one of the few times where they actually take the original Japanese music and then you know, voice over that rather than just creating a whole brand new yeah. theme song, which happens very commonly in uh, Japanese to American uh, transition. But the theme song is really catchy, and uh, the is. more you watch, it really grows on you because it's uh, it's a style of Japanese music, uh, kind of like an Inca style, uh, where it's kind of operatic. Yeah, and it has a little bit when, of disco to it too. Yeah, yeah, and then like when they redid it in the uh, the remake, it was just as good. Like they kept the bass music, but they, they reworked it a little bit and made it a little more epic, and it was just like, man, this is just a really powerful theme song. Like, if I heard this like, across the room, I would just run down to come and watch the show. I mean, like, this is just, it was powerful, and you don't get a lot of that this, these days. Yeah, um, speaking of, I finally have it ready, and here we go. All right. 
Makes me feel proud. You know, it's like one of those uh, love boats. You know, just like really big. Yeah. I feel like the solid gold dancer should be in the background while someone's singing this. <laughs> <laughs> that is an extremely catchy song. A lot of these, uh, the best part of some of these cartoons is the theme song. So whoever put that together definitely made it memorable. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that's it for us on this mini-sode. Um, I don't really have any last words. You kind of got yours in. So I'll just say real quickly, check us out on Facebook. Under Back in Tunes, you can check out every episode that we've done there. And uh, this is Michael saying, be excellent to each other. And Tony, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks a lot. And I also, actually, I did want to say one more thing. Um, thanks a lot to the listener who recommended this. And we really appreciate your uh, comment and info. Uh, everyone else, you know, leave us a message. Leave us any information. We'd love to do another one of these. Yeah, we have three more request episodes coming up. So we're going to finish the episode uh, this month with uh, Spiral Zone. Uh, JC and the Wheeled Warriors. And, uh, uh Crap, I forgot the other one. It's like Marsupilami. It's a, it's a foreign cartoon, I think. Do you know what I'm talking about? Marsupilami is like a Disney. They bought it. And I actually, I think I remember watching that. <laughs> yeah, so that one probably lasts because i got to hunt that one down. I've been putting that off just because I can't find a single episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that's it, everybody. Thank you, and have a good night. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it is the official launch of Season 4 of Comics on Infinite Earths. Yes, there's been a couple filler episodes we did over the summer where we discussed the played, uh, the played? The Blade Trilogy, and uh, it's the 20th anniversary of that, and then we did a Mike Allred special, which I was supposed to find Mike Allred and interview him, and I fucked that up. Um, so, uh, Avery is back. He's basically our official, my, you know, you're basically my co-host for this, because I think we do the most episodes together. Which is, and it's a lot of fun! Um... <laughs> I, I got a little nervous when you like, I'm thinking about not doing it. I'm I like, know. Oh, what am I gonna, how am I going to get my old comics in? You know? Yeah, well, no, I, I was going to, I was going to bring you over to a different <laughs> show, but yeah, it's just, it's so hard to put together episodes because unlike you and Jacob, who likes to fill in every once in a while, a lot of people, man, they fucking ghost me. I've literally sat by the phone. He's like, yeah, I'll be ready in 20 minutes. And not a goddamn word after that. I actually thought he was dead as one kid. And uh, now he just he's a fuck up and he does a lot of drinking and drugs and I didn't know this at the time and then he just flaked and he never he got so embarrassed that he never got back to me still hasn't got back to me it's been a year um, but that's what happens a lot it's really hard to get the show going my original co-host bailed on me after a year uh, for whatever reason so thankfully uh, you have really stepped up and uh, you have a lot of good ideas a lot new and old and you introduced me to some stuff last season that I got really excited about especially Nova yeah yeah and that was. It, it's like ever since we, you know, we, we took the little break, you know, I went off and I've, I've read everything I can get my hands on at this point. Um, you, you've sent me two care packages. Uh, I'm just like, I have so many episodes. I have so many comics. I have like, um, my living room right now is like scattered with comics. Right <laughs> I'm just like. It's, it's like four piles now. Because last time we talked, it was two piles. Now it's four piles. Yeah, so I know. I kind of excessive. We have to do. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of it is uh, our sponsor, Loves to Read, which um, does uh, sales through Amazon and eBay and stuff like that. They're our sponsor. And then every two months or so, 
they'll ask me what am I interested in reading and then I'll, I'll hit you up and say hey what's the oddball thing that you wouldn't normally buy and then they put together a package and they send it to me and I, I read through it and I, I filter out maybe what doesn't work what does work and then I send you hopefully what I think is quality stuff and so uh, thank you to them for being a supporter of us throughout the last two seasons and um, I can't even remember what I sent you but you'll, you'll give me notes later uh, this season, you and I were talking that maybe instead of doing the hour, hour and a half episodes once a month, that maybe knocking out mini-sodes, you know, shorter, maybe 22, 30-minute uh, uh, episodes, maybe that would be more consistent getting more episodes out there. Um, plus, I'm getting old, I'm getting tired, I get a little tired of talking. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we get too involved in something, because there's maybe. been times where it's just like, I, I know we'll sit down and it's like, alright, this one's going to be short, sweet. And next thing we know, it's an hour and a half laughing right. and just going on. Well, my favorite episodes are usually the longer ones because those become hodgepodge episodes where we don't talk about like a specific storyline. We talk about like what's going on in the comic book world, you know, the movies, and then like, hey, just like random things that we've been reading that maybe you and I both have not read. Those are kind of like fun catch-up episodes, which we'll probably do a few of those. Uh, and those, yeah, so those are the longer episodes. I do like those are like I said, those are really the ones that are just like, hey, I know we said we were going to talk about Batman, but uh, let's talk about the Flash for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah this episode we're going to focus on uh, the first of the trilogy through Nightfall, the big epic 1993 story of Batman getting his back broken by Bane and, and uh, the whole aftermath. But the one thing I want to do in the next episode, since it'll be the end of the year, and we'll both probably see Aquaman by then, is we're, we'll, we'll probably discuss our yearly wrap-up opinion of all the movies that were released in 2018 based on oh, comic books. That, that is that right there. <laughs> I'll be excited. We can, we can definitely do that and definitely have our forecast for 2019. Yeah, totally, yeah. Because two, 2019 looks like it's going to... It's a lot coming out. It's a lot. It's it's all over the place. DC actually has, um, I think, what three films that they're wanting two three films that they're wanting to drop. And Marvel is finishing up the Infinity series. So yeah, and we'll then see the where last the last gasp of Fox before Disney takes over. I don't know what's going on. Is New Mutants ever going to come out? I see Dark Phoenix on the schedule. I don't see New Mutants, so I'm curious. I want to see uh, if they're going to release I, it. I do see. Uh, I think what is it? Uh, Hugh Jackman said, "Hold up! If if uh, Marvel is taking over, I want to be Wolverine again." And oh, I saw that. I'm like, "Let's do it! Let's do it!" Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, he's getting older. I don't know his his body. I mean, Wolverine's supposed to be slowly aging. At least it's not ridiculous. Like you know when you watch vampire shows or robot things. Like I was watching uh, one of these Star Trek movies with Data towards the end. And I'm like, ah, oh, your hair's being painted on, your chin, your chin is being tucked in, you you know, you got the jowls. You're supposed to be a robot. This doesn't work at all. We know you're old, Data. We know you're old. <laughs> Thankfully, Wolverine's always kind of looked old, so that'll work for him. Rough and gruff. All right. Um, Let's get to the meat. The meat in the meal. Because um, um, I'm fucked up on Tussin right now. I've been horribly sick, like I said. So I'm a little loopy. You might have to carry me through the rest of this. I know you're beat, too, because you worked a long-ass fucking day. Uh, oh, we both work retail. Good. Christmas beats the crap out of us. 12-hour shifts, you know. like Once you do your first 12-hour shift, every other shift is just... 
I, I don't know. There's there's really no words for it. It's it's like it's like watching new recruits come into the battle zone and it's just like you guys don't even know what war is. Yeah, <laughs> I know what fourth quarter is when I start taping up my toes. That's how I run around the floor so much and it gets so raw that once December hits, I'm like a fucking I'm like a baseball player in the last couple weeks of the season, just like, oh just get me through this. I said I would never buy like things things I haven't bought this year that I thought I would never buy. Insoles. Um, <laughs> Whatever? You've I, never I, bought insoles before. I, I've never bought insoles before. Like I went to I went and got some new shoes and I don't really buy shoes. I will buy t-shirt and heartbeat um i have a couple pair of jeans and i probably have maybe four five pair of shoes yeah i finally got another pair of shoes i looked i'm like what's your best insoles oh they're 40 bucks give me i I spent 40 bucks without thinking about it just like that yeah i I have two pairs of shoes when i hear people have like a bunch of them (laughs) like they collect shoes i'm like i okay that's a thing I have 90 t-shirts <laughs> for every occasion. <laughs> Everybody has their thing to collect, and I think I'm just going to start collecting insoles. <laughs> I'm, I'm so specific. I don't give a shit about, if this isn't about comic books. We all know what it's like. I, I'm now at the age where I'm like specifically like looking for, okay, so this one is for the workplace. Okay, so it has a good arch support. It has little cushions on the each end. has the toe pieces that, you know, support them from winding, you know, like keep from like uh, wearing down. I'm like, uh, uh, what do you call it? A connoisseur of insoles now. <laughs> they have the ones, it's got like gel and air pockets. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me, let me try them out. Let me see what's going on here. This one has gel in it. Okay, Okay. we stalled enough. All right, Uh, this is where we. we, This is my catharsis for me. This is my uh, whiskey at the end of the night, so I can deal with it. It's where we discuss nerd culture, and I. This is right as I was leaving Batman. I actually missed this entire storyline. I read it straight from '89 to '92, I believe. and for whatever reason, I just I stopped reading comic books in general for like four or five years. So I missed the whole storyline of Nightfall. I think I gave up when I heard that they were just trying to capitalize on the whole, hey, Superman died. That was a huge seller. What can we do to Batman? Well, we can't kill him too. Let's do this. <laughs> now, one of the things I was I went through and I was uh, reading up on some events and some things that people didn't like about the comic book series of Batman and as a general um, collective. And one of the things that a lot of people bring up is, oh, remember that story where Batman got his back, bro? Yeah, I love that story. <laughs> and then everybody talks about how they hate the Azrael spinoff. And I'm like, that's, that's the story. That is the exact story. Are we reading the same comment? <laughs> how many times has he had his? How many times has he had his back broken in the nineties by day? <laughs> well, I, think, was, I wonder if a lot of people gave up, like they stopped reading after Batman was taken out. I, I, maybe that was a thing. Like you know how people stop reading um, Spider Man once Ben Riley, the Spider Clone, came in. The sales plummeted and people um, didn't come back for like another five or six years. I wonder if that's why a lot of people don't remember the Azrael Batman. <clears throat> I have no idea why that would be because even the the actually reading it like if you look at it on the surface and everything you know about the 90s being edgier and darker and more mysterious if if you go into it like that and you see the cover you're gonna think oh this is trash this is terrible why would they do this they ruined batman 
But then when you actually read it, it's almost the total opposite. Um, one of the things I remember quote like one of the things I remember is seeing um, Robin talk to Azrael and as and he said Batman, he said as uh, Batman needs your help. He wants you to be a hero, but he does not want you to be Azrael. And I, that stuck out with me. It was like he told him exactly what he wanted and what to do and how to do it, and he still chose not to do that. <laughs> yeah. What What is Azrael's origin like? What What comic book did he start in, or is it straight up just in Batman is where he started? Because I thought he had his own thing for like a miniseries or something. I believe he did have a short series before, but that's not his first time coming in. Um, I think they, I think they brought him out um, to, you know, as almost a reintroduction of say, hey, remember that one time we brought that one guy in? Well, here he is. Um, but he pretty much had his own series as well too. Um, it, it, we could kind of compare him to. Let me think of a Marvel person. Moon Knight is who I was thinking. Why not? Like, you'd be almost like Moon Knight as, as far as popularity. A lot of people know, but a lot of people don't know. Right. Um, well, also, I was just thinking the fact that they're both kind of unstable. Like, there's certain there's different <laughs> reasons why they're unstable, but they're both kind of unstable. And they're uh, C-listers with a cult following. But, like, Moon Knight, until just, like, the last six or seven years, was extremely obscure. He had died off. He was just, like, a, a hit during the 90s. And uh, same thing for Azrael, just a hit during the '90s, and I, I, no one's really seen Azrael until just recently. And, that, and that's it's crazy how that works. And his one big introduction was met with everybody saying, "We don't like this." Did you read it though? Yeah, <laughs> that was. Did you read it? Because well, it gets better. It gets yeah. so much better. I was gonna say it's this is the era where all of a sudden all of these superheroes started to get armor. I was reading um, the Justice League run where Wonder Woman is uh, in charge. And this is right after Superman died. And Booster Gold is so afraid to go back out in the field the way he was. Even though he had a force field and he had a flight suit and stuff like that. Uh, Blue Beetle builds him this gigantic suit of armor that looks like fucking trash. And, you know, it's a stupid idea. They did that with Daredevil. I think they did it with Spider-Man. Everybody was getting Yeah, I was just about to mention Daredevil. Yeah, because uh, I was actually looking at, I actually picked out some covers, and there was one of Daredevil. It's all black, and you see like a red outline of Daredevil doing like a backflip. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, they really did try to milk that dark, edgy tone back then. <laughs> well, even Blue Beetle, they reversed the color. So instead of it being predominantly light blue and black, it was almost all black then with blue highlights. And it was called Extreme Justice. And it, no, it lasted like 13 episodes. <laughs> and everybody's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> no more extreme, please and thank you. I don't need it. Just can I get my vanilla yeah. ice cream? Not everything needs to look like Image Comics. <laughs> now, it does work for some uh, I will say this uh, as a as as one of my favorite parts in here in the series in part one, they brought up the I think it's a three issue. It was called Shadow of the Bat, Fear the Fear of God, and it was a Scarecrow. It was like uh -huh. uh, Azrael versus Scarecrow. It was dark, but it wasn't so dark and being so edgy. It was dark because the character of the Scarecrow. 
and what he can do and how he manipulates people is what gets to you versus we're going to make Scarecrow edgy. You don't have to make Scarecrow edgy. You didn't. And then to face him off against um, Azrael at the time, it was perfect. I loved it. That That's actually my favorite series, uh, you know, my, my favorite little panel that going in there in that in the first part. Well, the, the whole series basically starts off with Bane coming out of nowhere. I mean, he's a brand new villain. Um, at first, I thought he was a KG Beast with a new costume. If you know who KG Beast is, he's a little obscure. But, um, you know, basically just ritualistically, like, this huge plan to take out Batman, to destroy his mind, destroy his body, take over Gotham. And the really entertaining part is, in the beginning, he, you know, takes out... Uh, not only Arkham Asylum, what's the other one? Blackgate? Is that the, the prison? Mm-hmm. And he takes out both uh, of those. Black, uh, right? Yeah. That was it? Yeah. yeah. And all these, all those villains that have been sitting in the cells for years. They, they do this every once in a while. They did this like a few years later with the earthquake uh, cataclysm, which also destroyed the prisons again and released all the villains. And it's kind of fun because Batman is so good that all these villains end up in prison and then they're like, well, we don't have anybody else for Batman to fight. What are we going to do? We have to figure a way for all of them to break out. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's good at his job, but he is so bad at his job. The the funny thing is, just looking at it, like the introduction of it, uh, a lot of people would go back and if you would read the, the, I think it's like the first 30 pages of Bane's backstory, it's very similar to the Dark Knight uh, Rises right. from uh, Christopher Nolan. As a matter of fact, they drew a lot of inspiration from them. There's a lot of scenes um, with them in that prison, with him training, even though... <laughs> It was supposed like I think in the movie it was Bruce Wayne training. It was Bane training. And he was getting bigger. He was getting stronger. He could fight. Um, then he talked about his regimen. How he was did a thousand push-ups, thousand sit-ups, and he meditated instead of sleeping. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'm with it. <laughs> the one good thing that they ditched in the movie is getting rid of the mask and the venom, which I think is funny because I just realized now Tom Hardy. Uh, plays Bane, he doesn't use the Venom, and he was just in a movie no. called Venom. <laughs> <laughs> he brought the Venom back. I haven't he, seen that one yeah, yet. That, is... that comes out on video like in a couple days here, so I'm hopefully going to be able to see it before uh, we record our next episode. From what a lot of people say is, uh, it's not a movie for critics, it's definitely a movie for fans. Okay, yeah, I was never I a huge so. Venom fan, it's kind of when I bailed on Spider-Man is around... I don't know, year three of Venom before he got his own uh, series, Lethal Protector, but uh, I'm still interested. I really love Tom Hardy. I love that director. I have to. I, I still want to go see it because it's not the horror movie everybody put it out to be. It's yeah. actually, they said it's very much Marvel. Okay, um, good. Yeah. So I'm down. I'm down to see it. Um, um, but going, <laughs> going back, that is one thing that they didn't do, and that is one thing that has always, you know, it's always been in the back of my head of, would the movie had been better if Tom Hardy, if Bane had the actual Venom, you know, would it, like what part could they have played versus what they already did? Because the movie's almost perfect. <laughs> you, you can't have the tubes hanging out of his head the way it is in the comic book or that 19... 19- okay, they fucked up Bane so bad in 1997 with Batman and Robin just made him like a simpleton, like, Bane! And then, you know, oh, he, yeah, they made him stupid. Yeah, but they also <laughs> didn't make him a fighter. 
because the minute the venom went away he shrunk down to like this little puny guy and i was like no that destroys the whole point of the fact that bane was um bane was very well trained in the first place the venom was just his uh upper hand over batman and um if you're gonna introduce that it has to be something like he has to take a pill or it's internal like you can't get access to it from the outside you know that is one of the things this is this is one of my things about bane uh, i've mentioned before that bane is probably one of the most underrated villains here because anytime we get bane we don't know that bane is one of the smartest people in that universe right bane figured out who Bat- bane figured out who batman was without even knowing who batman was right like in a cage well when <laughs> We discussed this before, I think, when uh, Robin figured yeah. out that, you know, who Batman was. I mean, he lived in Gotham City. He had been around it his entire life, and he slowly pieced it together. You know, like, you, you, what is Bane's first name? What is his real name? Bane's real name? That is his name. Is it Skippy Magoo? Skippy Magoo. <laughs> That's why I had to change the Bane. No one to take me serious as Skippy Magoo. No one will take, no take me serious if I'm Skippy. I, I love to. I, we have styrofoam cups in the break room, and I will talk like that all the time. It's like, get me. Yes, I'll take the large fries with that shake. Thank you very much. Oh, to the next window. I'll cure you for making me go that far. <laughs> Bane. I have no idea what Bane's real name is. What is Bane's real name? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know why I even thought of it. I'm sure no one else has thought of it until just now. But, um,. He's got that Lucha Libre look, uh, which was kind of popular. <laughs> I, I think that is what they were going for, because he has the mask, he has the spandex, he's wrestling, he's huge. Yeah. Well, that's I another mean, thing they did in the movie, was make him sound like he's from Sweden um, instead of, you know, uh, South America. Which, it's, I, I think it's, it just adds... It adds character to it. It does, you know? but it also it makes me laugh a little bit. Every time he says, the corrupt government of Gotham, you're like, oh, take another drink. He said corrupt government again. <laughs> he's got a point. He's got a funny voice, but he's got a point. Yeah, it's especially right now if it was real world. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the other villains that pop up. Uh, we have Firefly, which is always a cult favorite of mine. Just a dude with a cool-ass suit and a giant blowtorch just setting fire to everything because in, he loves to watch it burn. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm in the cult. I'm in the cult because I didn't even know Firefly even existed. And you never see him. But when you do see him, it's like, who is this? Why has nobody talked about him? Right. He's in and, one of the episodes, I think, of the animated series, and it's really good. Um Yes. The whole idea of pyromaniacs is so fascinating to me because it's just like these people usually end up getting burned because they get too close to it. Like what they put out fires of gasoline to quote David Bowie and it's just like they're disaster prone. It's like they want to see mayhem and they don't care about anything else. Yes. You yeah, and you are right. I'm actually looking at the picture of Firefly from the animated series and it's just like all the memories are coming back. I think it had something that episode had something to do with his daughter. And not only that, Firefly actually gave Batman a pretty tough run in that episode. Yeah. I'm gonna actually have to i I'm gonna set that up and watch that separately again. <laughs> okay. I don't remember. 
Uh, and of course, we have the classics, Poison Ivy, Joker, and Riddler. Um, this is, I think, when Killer Croc kind of got his reboot, where he was like super massive beast now, but he was also more intelligent, and you kind of felt some sympathy for him. Doesn't he help, if I remember correctly, they kidnap Robin, and then uh, Killer Croc realizes being used by Bane, and kind of doubles back on him, and, and kind of, I, I haven't read this, we read, I read this like six months ago when we were originally going to do this. Um, is that what happens? The, yeah, the... The the uh, I remember that Robin gets captured and he's in the sewer, and that was one of the other things. Like the sewer that he was in was very reminiscent of the sewer that Batman and Bane fought in the movie. Yeah. Great little great little touch right there. However, yes, uh, Killer Croc realized that he was kind of being just used by Bane, and he's like, you know what? Hang on, I'm better than this. <laughs> Well, Killer Croc has become have... kind of a tragic character, like the way Mr. Freeze is. Is, you know, he was born this way. He didn't want to be a monster. He didn't want to be a villain. But the world broke him so bad that he didn't know how to behave properly. And, you know, uh, it's almost like an animal instinct survival kind of thing instead of just being a straight-up villain. He's not Joker or the Riddler where he's planning this stuff. It just, he gets in these situations where it just gets out of control. He, he got dealt with that. And, and you kind of feel for him. You, you, you're almost on his side, but he still is on the side of chaos. Yeah. So it's not like Man Bat, who I'm surprised didn't show up in this. Man Bat is so underutilized, but he's such a fascinating villain. But it's, it's very rare that they even use him anymore, which I wish they would. I like the horror elements of the Batman universe. And I wish they would make a scary Batman movie. That, like, use the embodiment of what Batman is and scare me. I'm not scared of Batman, but make me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, Justice League Dark originally started off as a Guillermo del Toro film, like a live-action film where they were going to do the horror uh, side of Mar uh, DC. And uh, they got cold feet because DC doesn't know what the hell they're doing until just recently and uh, went straight to video. It's an okay straight-to-video movie, but it's missing that touch, you know, that Guillermo del Toro would have brought to it. And del Toro is... Oof. I think that's exactly like I think what we do need uh, for the DC actual like DC continuity that they're trying to go, go for is we might need a Del Toro film. <laughs> well, I just think that they need, need to need step that. back and just give it to the directors. I mean, just let them guide it in their own way instead of forcing this universe on them. Each Marvel movie does have certain beats that are kind of similar, you know, um, but they're all very unique. They feel different from each other. And that's the problem with the DC universe is because they let Zack Snyder put his stamp on the whole first run. And it by, by the time you get to Justice League, you're exhausted from it all. <sighs> we have absolutely no... Oh, you know what? Here's one thing. I, I totally forgot. And I wrote this down. I wrote this down in all caps. Uh, in the beginning of the story... Bane killed a shark. <laughs> it's a shark fighter. I fighter, I forgot about that. That's so crazy. They, 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 they pump him full of the venom. They throw him in the water, and he's bound up. He breaks out, and he kills a shark. Because he can. This, this is, this, this is story writing right here. This is it. <laughs> you want to scare me? Make your guy kill a shark. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever yeah, killed a shark with their bare hands. I know Jason Statham probably tried in the mag, but yeah, that does set a tone. I think, okay, so Chuck Dixon is got the guiding uh, writer for this whole world. Um, you know, for like the last eight years that he 
not the last eight years, but during this time period for eight years, he really guided that universe, taking over Nightwing and Birds of Prey and Robin. I really enjoy his writing. I know that he's kind of poison to people because his views are very right-wing, and I'm able to separate the writer from what he creates. So I think his work really holds up. Nightfall is basically his baby that he got a lot of help with. I think Alan Grant was another guy that was helping him, Doug Munch. Um, Alan, so that was that was one of those. Uh, Alan Grant, because Alan Grant was actually the guy that uh, wrote the, what was it, Shadow of the Bat, The God of Fear. Um, with, I, then I looked up some other things that he did. And uh, one of the other series that he did was this Batman, The Stone King. Okay. Yeah, I read, read that. that one. I read that one. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to dig deeper into this. Into this because from the other things that he writes for, um, he does. He does a little bit of DC. He does a little bit of uh, Marvel, but he does mostly. Um, he it's a lot of independent stuff. Yeah, I think he did a lot of novels. And if I remember correctly, the Stone King was turned into a radio play that was put on CD. It's called um, Graphic Audio. This company that takes these classic uh, comic book stories and they make a full-fledged cast and all these huge sound effects and an orchestra and uh, makes it into a big um, radio play. Like, I mean, we're talking long, like 16 hours sometimes. Like, they did Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is like seven CDs worth of radio plays. It's truly Ooh. fascinating. If I find a link, I'll, I'll that, send it to you. Um, that is that. That's how you do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. The, the problem I have with the Batman universe after this is that there's no longer a separation between Detective Comics, Shadow of the Bat, and Batman because each one had a different voice. Shadow of the Bat was more of the obscure stories that were throughout all of Batman's timeline. It was just random, like, you know, and in different, uh, like, it was more horrific and, and more historical. Um, the Batman was the A-lister, you know, that was one where all the big adventures would happen, but Detective Comics was my jam. I really enjoyed it because it was uh, Norm Brakefoil just passed away, and he's an artist on this series, and um, his art is truly phenomenal. And uh, he died about two months ago, and theirs were darker, more mature, and it was more about him being an actual detective and solving cases instead of flying around and punching people in the face. And around the time of Nightfall is when that kind of became... Uh, you can no longer separate the identities of the series. It just became one big event all the time. All day, every day, events, events, events. Now, speaking of, one thing with this series, like you said, they took they took separate parts. Like you said, they took uh, Shadow of the Bat, you know, the detective comic, and they made each one try to follow the same plot. You know, and you had, I, I believe you had six, seven writers, you know, coming together to do this for this entire series. Uh, this is actually one of these series that, um, that it has many inconsistencies within itself. And it also has many inconsistencies with the current story, the current continuity that was going on at the time. Like we know during this time, Superman had died. And this was written after the fact. However, the story is written, it takes place before the fact. Yeah. But they make mention of something that happens after. <laughs> and it's, this is one of the ones that made them go back, kind of retcon and take note. And was like, 
we we have to be careful. We have to be we have to know what we're doing. We have to know what we're saying. We have to all be on the same page, uh, and we have to continue. You know, continuity is going to be this big thing. Um, this is definitely one of these stories because even though they did combine all of these awesome series together, they could have done a better job. And I think that's the only fault of the show. Yeah. Of the, uh, of the actual it had to be an editor's nightmare, especially when you collect the stories up. Now, the version I have is, uh, I think, the second reprint where it's completely out of order. Now there's an omnibus out, which is, um, I think, like $30 a book. And it collects every single scrap bit in chronological order. So I'm missing some of the episodes in the story. But uh, for the mo- most part, it's just about, like, Bane just breaking Batman down. He gets uh, exhausted. I mean, he's just on his last legs for most of this. I mean, he's getting the shit beat out of him. He's sick. Uh, he's cut up. He's beat up. He hasn't slept in days. And he's starting to lose it a little bit. And, you know, even Robin and Nightwing and Alfred, they're all just like, please, just stop for a minute. He's like, I can't. Gotham is burning. I mean, there's only, you know, you guys are kids. I can't do this. I don't have the outsiders. I don't have anybody else backing me up. Still shocked that he never brought in Justice League, but maybe they thought it was not uh, worth their time. I don't know. One thing one thing that really got to me here, Bane does something that a lot of villains don't do. He went to his actual house and beat the dog shit out of Batman. Yeah, well, a lot of people didn't know where he lived. That's the biggest part, is because Bane did his homework first, you know, and he went hunting for, I I think only, I feel like only Joker and Bane have really ever known where Batman lives. That, that's it. That's it. Maybe Two-Face? He went, he went to him and beat the shit out of him. The, The infamous scene of Batman getting his back broken is in his own house. Not not some dark alley, not some secret lair, not it's in his own house. Yeah, it's I mean that's that was there. that's what makes it scary is because that's the last that's his safe place, you know, and they took it away from him. That's what makes Bane so ruthless, and that's it's kind of a bummer that Bane um, isn't that interesting of a villain anymore, um, because you started to know too much about him and too familiar with him that he became like uh, oh he's just a generic villain. But at the time, like the way Doomsday was, just a total mystery. Who the hell is this guy? He wiped everybody out, and uh, it was it was scary. It's, I think Bane would be. I think Bane is almost. You know, if it wasn't for the Joker's, you know, mental hold on Batman uh-huh. and Robin, and Bane would be that villain. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, Joker's done more damage by sure, but if uh, but um, if if he wasn't around, yeah, Bane would probably be second runner up because everybody else either has a sympathy angle because you feel kind of sorry for Two Face, you feel sorry for Killer Croc, or they're just like your straight up uh, just crazy villain who doesn't do a lot of homework. The one that I was thinking of here is uh, Mr. Zaz, who people saw <laughs> briefly in um, Batman Begins. But he's just like a really crazy killer. He's just super fast. There's no powers to him, but he's just so athletic and bound and determined to just slice everybody on the planet up. Uh, that I think he was a really good villain, but there's not a lot you can do with him. There isn't. And Mr. Zaz, like you said, he's just regular guy. Almost. You know? He's just a little off-kilter. <laughs> but one of the things that uh, I think this is also one of those highlight reels for us because we got to see 
like we said, we got to see Killer Croc, we got to see Vister's ass, we got to see, uh, I think Catwoman makes, yeah, Catwoman makes an appearance. We, it was pretty much this highlight wheel, uh, reel of where Batman has, where Batman has gone, what he's done. All these people almost have a vendetta against him. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like him getting his back broken was his own fault. Yeah, it's the only villain that he had in there that was so obscure, and I completely forgot that he even existed. And I don't think he had so much of a, a beef with Batman. He just happened to be one of these guys. Uh, his name, I, I'm not going to say it right, it's Amygdala, which is just this big dopey guy who's really stupid, but he's really big and angry. And, uh, you know, you feel kind of sorry for him because he's just, I mean, technically he's mentally challenged. And to watch Batman beat the shit out of him, you feel kind of like, oof, I don't know how I... Is this good? Is this bad thing? I don't right, know. Hey, Batman, you could just you could just educate this man. You know, yeah, beat him up. You know, give him, give him some help. He doesn't know any better. He's like a big child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a big child. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it's 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 a good roll call. It's it's a classic way to say, hey, you're a fan of Batman. Let's give you a buffet. And we got it. Six hundred and fifty some pages of it. <laughs> oh my god, we got them all. Oh, I must have got a different version. Where does yours end? Because mine ends uh, after 296 pages. Holy crap. No, I got the the full. I was able to actually get all three versions. Like, uh, no, I was able to get all three volumes. Okay, I think we might be going a little bit longer here because I have the second volume here, which is uh, Who Rules the Night. And this is the one where he takes Mm -hmm. on Joker and Two-Face and John Paul, hold on a second, maybe I haven't. What, what am I reading here? Part two, who rules the night? <laughs> has Batman got his back broken yet? Let me check. Yes. Okay, so Azrael has taken over, because I'm looking here, and Batman looks like he's wigged out, and he's got, he's got like a, a four-day beard growth, and, oh, no, that's, okay, here it is. I'm uh, halfway through, Batman is in the stretcher. I didn't realize they split this up so funny until just now. Um... Where did where does where does your book end? Because I'm just curious. Mine, the first volume ends with Azrael actually triumphing over Bane, and Robin saying, "You know what? You've earned that. You've earned to be Batman. So be Batman." And okay. Yeah. So my the first two books that I have, so I have a lot more to read than I thought. Because right here, about three quarters of the way through, uh, Azrael has created those stupid, ridiculous-looking claws that would shoot little batarangs. Yes. That's <laughs> so goofy, dude. And yes, right here is where he beats Bane. And uh, Robin says, oh yeah, okay, so it ends with Batman 500. He debuts the new suits. He kicks the crap out of Bane. So yeah, you know what? It's a good thing we're doing a three-parter because I realize I'm only a third of the way through and I thought I was two-thirds of the way through. Son of a biscuit. <laughs> That's right. a thick one, and I'm I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad. I really did want to touch on this one. Um, didn't like it, pretty much the the gist of the first volume is um, Bane comes through, Bane beats the fuck out of Batman as as we expected, and Azrael comes out to replace him. Azrael does a fantastic job at not being Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's still surprising I he didn't choose Nightwing to do it. I mean, later he would. Like, ten years later, uh, like, was it like after Blackest Night, when Batman disappeared, it, that Nightwing took over? He's picked several people to pick up that mantle, you know, after 
after this. And I think, I'm not entirely sure if this is still, I read somewhere that it might not even be canon. I'm not entirely sure about that. Yeah, there's been so many reboots. I don't know what the hell is going on with DC Universe. It seems like they're constantly rebooting, but it seems like this last one really stuck and the the fans are pleased. Um, I couldn't tell you the name of it. what the latest one is? It's not Brightest Day because that was years ago. What the, what's the last reboot? It wasn't Rebirth. It was after last, that. And it wasn't Fifty Two. Um, God, there's so many of them get lost. Whatever it is, yeah, it seems like it's pleasing fans. It's been a couple years now. They haven't talked about rebooting the universe. I think they finally settled in. They can knock it off now. Please, please just just we we're good. We're good. Just just leave it as it is. Yeah, I'm good where it is. I don't, like I said, I don't even know if this is canon anymore. And, and that's one of the things that bugged me while I'm reading it. It's like, we're sitting here, we're reading this, and we're getting into it. None of it matters. Is this even canon? <laughs> yeah, it's like an Elseworld <laughs> story. I was reading Superman Red Sun, and I was like, what if uh, Superman had landed in Russia instead of America and became a weapon for uh, the Cold War? And I'm like, this is a really great story, and none of it matters. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Just like that uh, Captain America Hell Hydra, that that little yeah, I haven't. I, I figured that was up. bullshit. I gotta go and read that story. I haven't read it yet. Um, can I say that the, the Falcon run of Captain America when he took over was one of the best things that Marvel's done in a decade and no one's talking about it? Nobody. <sighs> Absolutely. And, that, and it, come on. Um, I will say, let me see. What, what, what have you gotten into? What, what is... Um, last great thing that you have read. Uh, right now I'm digging into Starman because me and a friend are going to do an episode about this. It's really sophisticated without being too heady. A lot of times these sophisticated comics are boring to me because it's just talk, 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 but it combines a lot of good adventures with uh, dialogue. Um, you know we did Terror Titans last summer yeah. and I found the prequel and uh, it's in the new Teen Titans. Oh damn it, hold on. Let me go grab it. Um, what are you reading while I'm doing this? All right. So somebody recommended a very weird one to me called Elephant Man. <laughs> oh, no, I've heard of that uh, one. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I saw it on my on my reading list and I said, hey, go ahead and read it. It will give you, you know, your first copy for free. Let us know what you think. I read it. I'm going to go read it again. I thought it was pretty nice. Cool. Um, not to say much, I will just say that there's a there's animal human hybrids, and they're designed to fight in a war. And now that the war is over, they don't know what to do with their lives, and they're moving forward from there. Huh. Yeah. The uh, it's called uh, Teen Titans on the Clock is the prequel series to Terror Titans, which it's it's truly great because it works in conjunction with Terror Titans, and. Uh, I read The Astounding Wolfman, which is from Robert Kirkman, the guy who created Walking Dead. It's a fun throwback to 70s comics, but with a modern flavor, so there's a lot of blood. Um, um, oh, and I read the Miami Vice reboot, and it was fucking trash. I didn't I didn't understand any of it. It was just so unreadable, unlookatable. <laughs> it was just god-awful. And I even liked the artist, just but I just couldn't get into it. One of the, let me see, besides that, the other issue, like the other thing I was checking out as well, too. Um, somebody got me into Saga. Now, I read the first oh, little yeah. part of Saga. 
Yeah, we, we yeah. did, uh, a friend of mine talked me into doing that. That was uh, our June episode. Because um, usually you and I just do the superhero stuff. And he's like, you got to read uh, Transmetropolitan and Saga. And I'm like, but it's for grown-ups. It's sophisticated. I, I didn't like Transmetropolitan too much, but I really like Saga. Yeah. And so far, like, so far, like, I just completed Volume 1. Uh, I'm really enjoying Saga. Um, I, I cannot wait to, like, dive deeper into this and lose all my time and waste and waste whole lunch periods reading this. <laughs> the, uh, there's a place around the corner, it's a flea market, and they apparently bought all this excess Dark Horse comics. Um, we live near Dark Horse Comics, so they must have just did an outlet sale or something. And he's like, yeah, they're a quarter apiece. I'm like, holy shit, I'll sample all this stuff. And then I realized Dark Horse Comics <laughs> has completely lost it to me. They're, they're just nothing they're doing is interesting anymore. I, I don't know. It's, it's, there was a time when they were just doing everything was just, you know, all the original stuff, not the licensed stuff like Star Wars and Predator and stuff like that, where I was really excited about what they're doing. But right now, it's just not interesting to me at all. And that's... Uh... Maybe they'll come back. I think. I think the age. I don't think though we've reached the golden age of comic book movies. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've reached the golden age of comics yet. Not not for this new generation. Nah, there's got to be something. Um, I, I have tried reading older comics lately. Like I'll get nostalgic for stuff from my childhood. I gotta tell you, um, nostalgia is kind of a drug. It, it it makes you think it's better than it really was. I almost find everything <laughs> like pre-crisis. Most of it is unreadable. It's so lazy written. I don't care about the stories. There's no real investment. And so I'm having a harder and harder time to read anything that is Bronze Age or, or, or further back. So for me, it's um, Copper Age, which is uh, 85 to 92, I think. And then uh, up. And that's where we've been picking from. Yeah. <laughs> Most of our comics have been coming from right there in that age. Can and you... for me... yeah. For me, I'm really ramping it up, trying to, uh, I mean, like I said, with the movies, with the games, with everything that's going on, um, comics have gone digital, we're getting comic book stores again, not just little mom and pop ones, but they're starting to become profitable. Yeah, um, uh, the TV shows, oh my god, every other day there's a new yeah. TV show, I'm just truly excited, but it's also like, is it overboard? I mean, I don't know if this is going to be too much. <laughs> we're and like I said. I don't think we've hit the the golden age of comics yet. We're close. Maybe within the next two to five years, you know, we'll see that again. Yeah, and I we'll hope that, that comics do go beyond just superheroes and capes. There's a lot of independent companies out there, but they're they're struggling to keep going. Um, my friend Shauna, uh, she used to work for Dark Horse, but now she works at Lion Forge, um, which is also in Portland. I believe it's in Portland. Um, she's going to try to hook us up with i think she's going to try to hook us up with some free samples so we can see what they're putting out um and, and maybe talk about them on the show because i'm curious so there's some of these small companies that are doing things that are, are not getting promoted and uh i, I want to know what is it that you know they're doing that doesn't get all the the movie properties to you know to get the hype going i think because when people think comics they think superheroes and capes yeah and that's not necessarily everything uh, i mean um there was a good one that I suggested to you it was uh i can't remember which i know it was like a it was a crime thriller with cops planning a heist oh okay and yeah um i, I sat down and i read that and i'm like this is i don't need superheroes i don't need capes it's just the fact that it's a comic 
and I can thumb through it really quick and still get a really good and condensed story, I would love to see that in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's surprising how many movies or TV shows you find out later are based on a comic like Red, Road to Perdition, Ghost World, yeah. Tank Girl, stuff like that, that aren't typical superhero stuff. I can't believe we've gone 50 minutes. We said we we're going to do a mini, so we lied. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've done episodes. We're kind of catching up, but both of us are kind of beat, so um, we'll continue our random comic conversation mixed in uh, with our next episode. We'll discuss another chapter of Nightfall. Well, I guess it'd be Night Quest by then. And, um, man, I'm losing my voice. And then we'll do our uh, 2018 comic book movie wrap-up. Sounds good. Sounds good. Anything you want to plug before we go? I have absolutely nothing to plug. I've plugged everything. Uh, <laughs> that sounds filthy. Uh, Retro Rocketer, James, where you'll find all of our podcasts. Like I said, check out our sponsor, Loves to Read. And um, that's it. Um, have a good night. We're out. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stumbling Towards Adulthood, your show where we examine the disastrous uh, genres and trends of our youth, uh, bad behavior, uh, clumsy, stupid bullshit from our, you know, like kind of makes us cringe and embarrasses us. Uh, It's best to get this out, people. It's therapy. And I am your host, Michael, and my guest is Tony, who basically you've become my reoccurring guest. Like, you basically run the show with me. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, I've, uh, I've done, a lot, done a lot of stumbling through towards the whole as you have. So, yeah, I think I still am. Familiar. I trip every day. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all stumbling in one form or another, I'm sure. And this episode, we're going to discuss the fashion fads of the 80s and 90s, stuff that's actually pretty cool and still holds up. Most of it's going to make us go, what the fuck were we thinking? There's uh, some total cringeworthy uh, photos and moments out there for, for all of us, I'm sure. Yeah. And originally, this was going to be an episode where we discussed just the shoes. Like, there was a fascination with shoes for guys during this time period. And uh, we decided to go beyond that, bigger scopes. But why don't we just start off with the shoes of our youth? And uh, I got a good song for that. Literally, the whole episode was designed so I could play that on air. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That song, that song did did spark my love affair of Adidas at, at the Run DMC. After I watched them wear it, and then and then that, that accompanying song that uh, you know that, that that inspired my my love of Adidas, like like to this day. And of course, I was infatuated with Run DMC as was everybody else in the eighties. <laughs> um, I did not become aware of fashion until it was about shoes. I remember I was in fourth grade, and I just had some shitty Velcro nothing shoes, probably like uh, uh, Buster Browns or Oshkosh or something. And um, some kid goes, what's up with the shoes? You're like 10. Why are you still wearing Velcros? Why don't you get some, like, Nikes and tie your shoes? And I'm just like, what? There's, like, a thing where you should be embarrassed by this? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird when that happens. Like, yeah, I, I, like you, also had Buster Browns. They had, um, they had a Buster Browns shoe store at a local mall. But, like, my mom would, like, get, like, back then they would sell uh, shoes at, like, the grocery store, like, on a little plastic hook. You know what I mean? It would, like, just, like, you know, your random, generic, no-name shoes. Back where I was from, they would, they would call those kind of shoes bobos. So if you're a broke, 
or a loser, you'd be like, like, oh, look at this guy wearing bobos, man. Or like, you know, later on, they they saw the poem Sykes, like not Nikes, like with an extra stripe or like. Oh. oh my God! How many times did you run into like your friend who was really broke and he had like the shoes that would be like in the corner at the Payless, and they're always like some low rent ripoff of some popular shoe made out of plastic. Yeah, totally. A lot of friends would bust my balls because they, oh, they saw you at Walmart. I was like, or like, sorry, we didn't have Walmart. They saw you at Kmart. I was like, oh, yeah? What were, what were you doing at Kmart? Oh, oh I was, uh, I was buying tra- trading cards. Yeah, I, I, w- I wasn't buying clothes. That's where the losers like you are. Okay, you were there for some other reason. I got you. Whatever. <laughs> I'm the poor loser. That's what it is. The, yeah, the shoes that were really popular that faded away, um, do you remember Ruse? The ones where you had the, the yeah. tongue where you could put like a quarter in it, which was completely useless to everybody except five-year-olds? Yeah, well, they were cool when you are a kid because, like, you know, extra pocket for my my secret little stash. But I remember, like, uh, uh, what's it called? Water Payton uh, advertised them. That's right. Made them, like, Whoa, and Water Payton was huge in the 80s, the 85 Bears and all. I was like, oh, shit, Water Payton. I was like, and, and, and they're kick-ass, and they're kick-ass shoes. And also, uh, the U.S. had this weird little love affair with Australia for a, for a period in the 80s. So it was all this kind of happy marriage of, like, you know, star celebrity and the little kitsch factor of a pocket and Australia, you know what I mean? So it was like, you know, it was like they almost sold themselves for, like, about a year or two. It was pure, pure realization. Yeah, I just, I thought it was the coolest thing at first, and then slowly the common sense of, well, I can't really fit anything in there without, like, either wadding it up into a little, you know, like, a little junk pile of, you know, like, oh, it's a dollar, but it's folded 80 times, or, like, two quarters, that's the best you could get. Yeah, I was like, wow, the the functionality, like, the novelty versus functionality, like, kind of had to wait, like, all right, it's kind of ridiculous, you know. I I remember I had, um, I had a pair of Ked's lights. We're just Holy like glow in the dark. Keds, I forgot about those. Yeah. These were Keds lights, not like not like the generic white versions, but these were like marketed for boys. They were like a little glow in the dark track. And people made fun of me so bad. Oh, you do wearing Keds lights until we took a trip to the planetarium, and I had the only glow in the dark shoes. Yeah. Oh, look at them! Yeah, now what's up, bitches? I got glow in the dark shoes. Suck it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, anything glow in the dark around that time. I had a Ghostbuster shirt that glowed in the dark, and I was the coolest kid for like a week. We'd all go in the bathroom, ooh, look at his shirt, and the teacher would be like, "Why are you guys turning off the lights?" I remember, uh, I remember, I had a pair of like uh, Chuck Taylors, like you know what I mean, and like this is before they became cool again. So like I was like a loser, look at his shoes, and then like I swear, like a week later, they became popular, and girls wearing red red Chuck Taylors, and then I was like. Why, when I was wearing them, was I a loser? Now that you, now that you're wearing them, they're, they're cool. Like, well, they weren't cool then. I was like, yeah, but I'm a trendsetter. It's like, nah, nah. When you were wearing them, they weren't cool. We're fashion. We're cool. When you did it, it wasn't cool. I was like, I, I give up. Forget it. Never mind. <laughs> I just. No, I, I had a sweatshirt. No, no use of logic. I had a sweatshirt with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on it. Um, and I was the biggest loser. I got mocked so badly. Then fast forward three months later, the movie comes out, and all of a sudden I'm like the cool kid. I'm like, but you. <sighs> <laughs> the point is, stop being sheep. Just appreciate something for what it is. Stop waiting for the validation for it to be cool, and just you know what I mean. Make up your own mind. Yeah. Stop, stop waiting for fashion trends to dictate what what you like and what you don't like. The um the other shoes that I remember being really big and they kind of faded away for a while was Puma. Everybody loved Puma for a short period of time and all of a sudden just gone. And now they're back bigger than probably they ever have been. Yeah, I had a pair of uh, Puma high tops uh, back in the eighties, and I loved them so much. I made a Christmas ornament. I had still to say like a like a felt version of my sneakers with like an elf coming out of it, 
and they were so badass. I was just researching uh, Puma high tops on Amazon, and I, I definitely want to get it there. But like the, the spectrum of price is so weird. Anywhere between thirty to one hundred and twenty dollars. What is it? <laughs> and then and of course they don't have my size, so I'm like, I oh, will forget it. Yeah, de- definitely Puma. I've always liked Pumas. They've, they've always been pretty cool. And, and, and uh, there was always the kids that wore the skater shoes, which that was kind of out of my realm. I was more of a bike guy, but they were always my friends. I was like, what is this Vision Streetwear? What is this uh, Airwalk and stuff like that? Like, all of a sudden, it just exploded around 1988. Yeah, the late 80s was, like, a big year for uh, for skate culture. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I always wanted to wear them, uh-huh. but, like, I, like I couldn't because I don't want to be considered a poser. You know what I mean? Because I didn't actually skate. Even though the shoes were cool, once you're labeled a poser, man, forget it. You, you can't live that down. I was, so I was like, a ah. poser. I bought a Vans shirt. Seriously, all it had was like the size of a quarter, was a Vans logo on the lower left side. It was just a sweatshirt. I just wanted a sweatshirt, and I had it there. And some kids saw it, and they said they were going to beat the fuck out of me because I wore that. I was a poser. And I was like, it's, it says Vans. It's a tiny logo. Who cares? Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you, you kind of had to like... Walk the walk with skater gear back then. Yeah, I had like those little swoosh, Tony Hawk bangs. You kind of had to have like yeah, like the Vision Street wear, like the Bones Brigade stuff. Or yeah, you have to have Vans or Airwalks. Or I think those were pretty much the only two skate shoes in town back then. Yeah, you know, they, they didn't have they didn't have the DCs or the Osirises or the stuff they have these days. You know. Well, there's like 800 uh, shoe companies now devoted to like extreme sports. Whereas yeah, you're right. Back then there was three guys basically, and even some skaters mm-hmm. wore the Chucks. I remember that. Yeah, those are like the original skate shoes, and they were the kind of, the, the kind of default skate shoes, if, you know, because they were they were kind of as sturdy, you know, like a flat soles, which you kind of needed for skating. You couldn't have like uh, like the running shoes that has like a, like a like a uh, like an arch to it. Not very good for skating purposes. Yeah, the uh, do you remember so, the Bones Brigade? Always, Hawk and the Chucks were the only other shoe in town that wasn't a skate shoe that was flat soles. Yeah. You know? I think we walked over each other a little bit. Do you remember the the Tony Hawk shirt with him ripping out? Like you just see him like coming through. That was like the legendary image for Tony Hawk. Yeah, there was that one, and there was like the uh, like this this the Hawk skull. You know what I mean? That was uh, that with that little little like almost like a fascist looking cross, but it was like a cross. Yeah, yeah. So I always I always get that confused with like I don't know. It's like is this a, is this a white supremacist thing or is this like you know what I mean? I couldn't tell if it was like the German like. Uh, yeah, the German whatever uh, Iron Cross, or if that was a skater thing, is like walk the weird line. They kind of almost they looked very similar, you know. Yeah, I mean, let's let's not even get into like the heavy metal stuff yet. But there, that kind of skater heavy metal world ruled the late '80s. But um, the other shoes that really came out and disappeared, I remember LA Gear being a huge thing for a short period of time. I had a Magic Johnson purple LA Gear. And it, I bought them like two weeks before he came out saying that he was HIV positive, and then I just got called fag nonstop. Actually, pretty much everything <laughs> I did in high school, I was called a fag. <laughs> well, I remember like Converse made um, two two kind two uh, basketball player endorsed shoes that took off like gangbusters. There was Magic Johnsons and Larry Birds. Magic Johnsons were like the uh, the purple and gold. And then, because uh, of the Laker colors and the Larry Bears, of course, the, uh, the white and green. But they were really popular. And then Larry, then he came out with, like, endorsing an LA Gear version of the shoes. And also, they came out around around the same time. British Knights were really popular, too. Oh, BK, British Knights, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And LA Gears are huge. And also, like, a Reeboks. That was, that was a new shoe that came on the scene. Like, his British shoe company was, oh, they are really cool. And it was cool to have those little, little high-top-looking things, you know, so, something new and different. Well, I think it's funny. You know, you know Reebok still is just huge. Converse is still doing well. British Knights and LA Gear are they both gone? 
Um, for a while, you could find them at like Payless, and like, but now, but now you can't even find them there anymore. I don't even know if they're putting stuff out anymore. Probably not. I think it'd be too expensive for them to keep a company running and not seeing a, you know any kind of return on the profit. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, I, I think it's gone, 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 gone the way of gonna. I think they've gone out of business a little a little while ago, and because just because they've gone so favorably out of style. The uh, the collectability of shoes changed, I think, around '86 with the debut of the Air Jordans. All of a sudden, that became the thing you had to have. It wasn't just shoes; it was now a collector's item, and whoever had them was the coolest of the cool. Yeah, I mean, and like, um, like they were so expensive, like the price tag, and you'd always hear about kids getting mugged. You know what I mean? Yeah. For them, and uh, it was just crazy. But like now, there's like I don't know when this started up again. People are collecting. Jordan's, I guess they've been doing it for a little while. And then you hear, like, this guy, like, this guy, DJ Khaled, who's got, like, hundreds of thousand dollars worth of Air Jordans in his house. And he has, like, almost like a, he almost has, like, an MTV crib-style show, uh, just his Jordan collection. He shows off one pair that's worth, somehow worth $20,000. I don't know shit. how he, he, he attributed that kind of price tag to it. But, uh, you know, a friend of mine, uh, who's 40 now, who probably spends a quarter of his income, on uh, on Air Jordans, Holy and I was blown away. I was blown away by. It. I was like, dude, he's got like, I don't know, maybe eighty pairs of it. That, and I was like, you know, I didn't. I was like, hey man, that's your thing, I guess. It's your money, but why? <laughs> I just, you know, I don't. And then there's like, according to him, I remember last time I went out, he took me shopping with him, you know, just to hang out. And then he he was admiring these like overseas. There's like a an overseas market of it that like um, these import Jordans that don't come over here that are like you'd have a weird price tag attached to him. It's wow. a whole other world. He's talking to this guy about, oh, have you seen the so-and-so composite? Oh, yeah, those are sweet. But, of course, I'm like, you guys are like talking a different language. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why they make different versions for each country. I mean, just make one for everybody. And I guess I guess there's like mods to them. People put their own spin. Designers make their own version of them that's only available here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a whole, it's a whole, whole other I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not really privy to very strange. The uh, the addition of the pump in the air to any shoe all of a sudden escalated the game. Then it became like a war between people about who had the coolest shoe. Oh, I got the pump. Oh, I got the airs. You know, I got the, the re no, no one cared about the other airs really. It was just it was between Reebok pump and Nike Air, and it was insane. And I remember desperate to get any of them, anything with an air pocket because that was what's cool. And I end up I can't fucking believe I'm telling this story. But um, we went to a Spies store where they had Nike Airs on clearance, but they were all the awful, awful, ugly piece of the shit ones. Uh, the only one that was anywhere near my size that we could afford, it was $90. It's fucking pink and black. <laughs> and it's a fact, I didn't get called fag enough. I demanded that I get those. It was the way that I was going to be popular in school. My parents are begging me not to because guess what? Yeah, they were the only one near my my size, but I was like a six at the time, and it was a nine. And they were like, the rest of them were 11s and 12s. So they're like, no, you can't walk in these. You look like a clown walking around in size nines. But I need to have them. I gotta have them. Oh, my God. That's not the end of the story. You can always argue, you can always argue that it's salmon and not pink. Oh, uh, this is coral. It's not pink. Yeah, so, I know. Uh... This was neon pink. Uh, yeah, neon pink and black. And uh, they end up breaking down and getting them for me, even though they're clearly way too big. I wore them once. Um, this, I kid you not, I stuffed socks into the front of the shoes because they were so fucking big. <sighs> the, Making that in. The price. 
<laughs> that's insane. And I remember putting them away and my parents being so pissed. And I wore them a few years later and ended up just like using them for like working in the yard and stuff like that. Um, and then that's when I bought the Magic Johnson shoes and that got uh, more fag calls. Boy, I gotta swear, I, my nickname must have been Fag in high school, like Michael Fag Cook, because it just never ended. These kids were brutal. They found everything to do to uh, humiliate me. And I, I sometimes I want to look back going, God, you almost deserved it. Yeah, it's weird. Sometimes all you need is like one validation from a cool kid. And then, like, I remember I had a pair of like, like army green colored suede Nikes. Yeah. And like I love them because I, I like I like drab. I like the color. Green's my favorite color, and I like olive drab. I'm like oh sweet a pair of sneakers that color. And like you know, a couple of them, Ugh, look at this look at this peak green shoes. And then one one cool kid I'm in my class like oh dude I dig those fucking shoes. I'm like thanks man. And somebody overheard them and like nobody nobody ever validated oh I like them now too. They just never they just stopped giving me shit about it. Yeah. But you know, people stop giving me shit once I started making them laugh. Once I stopped giving a shit about what everybody thought and I just started joking around being a wise ass, that's when things got a lot better. But me desperately trying to be cool. And this isn't the end of this. This is uh, just a long string of, oh, hey, how about the time I bought a pair of pants that I thought looked cool because they had these white squiggly lines down them. Turns out they were girl pants. The zipper was on the other side. I didn't know anything about this. Um, then there was a time that I decided to take a razor and shave one side of my head. And for some reason, since it was on the left side, that meant I was gay. What the fuck? What is that? That was a thing. Like, if, if you do, if like, you had an earring on the left side back then, it was, uh, it, it was okay. If you had an earring on the right side. Oh, wait, me, it was on the right would, side. You would, what, you was, what side that would get me mocked? Yeah, yeah, like, so if it was on the right side, then it was gay. And of course, if you had earrings in both ears, it's gay. Now it's like, now it's, it means nothing. You know what I mean? But, yeah, absolutely nothing. You got gay just like, the size of corridors in your ears on both sides, and you're wearing a pink shirt, and everybody's just like, man, he's the he's the, the coolest dude ever. He doesn't give a fuck, man. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but back then, you had to walk, you had to walk a fine line, man. Fine line between super cool and you might, you, you might be a, a gay weirdo. You know yeah. I mean? uh, the worst was when I wore a public enemy t shirt to school in a redneck town. Uh, yeah. Mm. You can sense right now how many beatings I took over that. It's weird. Like you couldn't be. See, I mean, I grew up in suburban Philly. It was pretty. You know, you had a pretty good mix. I mean, it was like I lived. I lived in the uh, the poorer section of the suburbs, but like you know, we all went to the same school, so in the richer sections and whatever, we got bucks in it. anyway. But you couldn't really wear anything rednecky. Like you couldn't wear anything like you know. You couldn't even wear any stars and bars. You couldn't wear that kind of stuff. You get you get ridiculed. You get ridiculed for being a redneck. Though. Yeah. Which is the exact opposite of where I was, where everybody dressed in flannel and overalls and, and you know, cowboy hats and boots and stuff like that. And that was completely normal. And um, I must tell everybody, I did not originally start in a country town. I moved there when I was 13. Before I was 13 and in this town, whatever I did fashion-wise, no one cared. It was completely fine. It was after I moved is when things went to shit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how somebody obsesses, you know, with, with the way somebody else like you know dresses or acts or that's like a big deal big deal but then by the time you get to like your senior year nobody gives a shit anymore you know and you're like, yeah i don't know this guy probably again for the rest of my life why bother you know why bother uh putting so much energy into like making this guy know how much i don't like his sense of fashion or the fact that he exists so you know, people people kind of get over it once they're in senior year i wish they would just 
I wish they would just have that kind of foresight in the beginning of their high school you know, career. But. Yeah. Well, I think when I was in the city, I felt more like Ducky from Pretty in Pink. And then I moved to the country, and I felt like um, Kevin Bacon's character in Footloose. Like, everybody was just like, who's this weirdo? Why has he got spiky hair? Why is he dressed like that? Why is he listening to that music? Like, come on, guys. Let's, let's just dance, everybody. <laughs> Forget it. Come on, let's all dance. Let's all dance. Let's all dance. What do you say, guys? Get him. The one ridiculous train, well, I'm pretty much wrapping up the shoe part, is um, the gun for the air pump. Do you remember that when Reebok Pump just went overboard and they had that little pump gun? I mean, sometimes you have to recognize, uh, you can recognize the novelty for what it is. I mean, like, like the little air window that you can see, I mean, it's just, it's just so you can see it. it doesn't make you jump any higher or any faster. And then, like, you get the same effect with the pump as if you just tie your shoelaces a little tighter. Yeah, it's basically what it comes down to. It's ridiculous. Just like, you know, wear proper socks, uh, have a shoe that fits you, and, uh, you know, stretch. You don't need all that. You're not, you're not professionals. You're not jumping around every single day. But, guys, kind of just a gimmick. You don't have to pay $200 <laughs> for, for, like, a, for, for just a gimmick. Yeah, before that, $100 for a pair of shoes would blow your fucking mind. You know, you're buying shoes at the Kmart and Sears for 10 bucks. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I never, I never had Nikes. I mean, that was like, that was such a, that seemed like a, I don't know, that seemed like something somebody else did. Like, I just took whatever piece of shit shoes my mom kind of threw at me. Or these are shoes for the year, which is what I do with my kids. Like, now nah, you're wearing these. Like, oh, whatever, shoes. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for the days. I'm like, oh my God, these are so ugly. Everybody's going to give me hell for that, you know? <laughs> luckily, luckily, it's okay. He's like, yeah, what is that? Shoes? Yeah, I'll wear them. Yeah, do they you fit? Know. All right, we're good. Good. I have two of them, and they're each one's one's a right and one's a left. Yeah, it works. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about shoes during this era before we go on to the next topic? No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, like, like I said, like the Ked Lights and the Chucks, they're really the only shoes I kind of like, I remember wearing, and like, you know, and then like my olive drab mics. But besides that, I just kind of like, you know, I didn't really uh, I didn't really have a great selection of shoes. <laughs> you know, I was pretty broke. So. Yeah, I've always had one, yeah. maybe two pairs. And it's usually like, oh, those are the ones that are almost falling apart, and those are the brand new ones i got to break in. That's how I live my life. People have more than that. I'm like, why? Why do you need them? Is it one for work and the one for working out? I, what, no, they're all the same. Okay. Oh, yeah, you, I wouldn't get a new pair of shoes until like my soles were flapping off. And yes. I'd like, okay, I will get a new pair. And many a times I'm like, should I duct tape this up or go buy a new pair? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're up in Nike country here. So if you if you chose another line, you're just like, Urgh, traitor. Oh, yeah, my, my friend, uh, you know, my old friend and coworker Hayden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, I mean, his mom, his mom works for Nike. So I mean, the plus side is he always had these like uh, these prototype Nikes that you know that that you get for him and his uh, and his brother Kellen. But like the downside is he never show up to their house wearing like Pumas or Adidas. <laughs> at him, he's like, "Are you kidding me? It's like we're Nike people. This is Oregon." Yeah, it's um. Besides, like, sports influencing music, or influencing fashion at this time, um, usually just the bros, you know, like with the shoes and, and stuff like that, like they're wearing the, the hockey jersey or whatever shirt of the sports guy that they follow, music videos changed a lot. It had such a heavy influence on fashion, but in small ways. Like, a lot of that stuff you'd see in a music video, you're like, well, they're musicians, they can dress like that. Normal people usually can't pick up that thing. But every once in a while, something will get across, and it's like um, the hammer pants. You, this is why I'm taking this off your list. You wrote skids pants first. What the hell is a skids pant? 
Okay, maybe that was like like some things like I hear, I've heard about happening in other regions. Like for instance, like like Jabot, that, that that happened. In, like my friend wore those in Atlanta. That was a big like G I R B A U D. I think they pronounce. I never had that in my neck of the woods. That was real big where he was. Skids was real popular where um, where I live. So you ever see like the slippery one wet sign? It's like a it's like a car and a little yellow like, oh, sign. Right, right, it's like right. it's like skidding. So that was their emblem, and like um, the name of them were S K I D Z. And they were pretty much these like white, flappy, hammer-like looking pants, but they were like uh, like flannel. They looked like fucking clown pants. Oh, and I never shit, owned. Now I remember them. Did they literally have a logo that looked like the skid sign you see on the road? It, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And um, like the slippery, the slippery one wet sign, you know what I mean? And also that Bon Jovi album, which was really popular at the time, coincided with that. But no, no, no relation. But they just both happened to be out at the same time. And. Uh, um, yeah, they were super popular. Everybody had a pair, and I think they were like eighty bucks. And they were butt ugly. Oh. And then they also had a pair. They also had a pair of overall skids too, which were like the pants, but they had an overall function. And then of course you had the one flat open or something. Yeah, yeah. And like that. that was, that was it, a Fresh Prince thing, I think. He started that trend of wearing the old yeah. one strap overall. Yeah, and it was really popular. Everybody had them, and like I never had them. And even if I could have afforded them or wanted them. Sometimes you have to be able to call bullshit on the trend and see how see see how like you know how for how dumb it really is. Like, and I had enough uh, I had enough sense to see like you know I'm sure when people were wearing bell bottoms at the time of the seventies they didn't think they didn't think they looked ridiculous. Now they're like they're face palming themselves. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how the way I thought about skids. Like in about ten years we're gonna see how how ridiculous we look. You yeah, know what I mean? they're just so that's giant one thing. Pajamas. I like, they're just pajama pants. Yeah, they're, they're pajama clown pants. Let's call them what they are. You know what I mean? And they, they look dumb. And like, I'm not going to have any part of it. Nope. No, sir. I don't care if you gave them to me free. Not, not a let alone like the 80 bucks you're paying for them. And then you couldn't get these these designer pants in the store, by the way. You had to like um, go to one of these specialty stores, like a merry-go-round or like one of those kind of like a structure or something. One of those kind of like uh, fancy, like urban, you know, uh, kind of fashion stores. And like I didn't have the money for them, and I didn't have no way to get there. So thankfully, there's no pictures <laughs> of, around of, uh, with these pants. I was a know. victim of uh, Chess King. There was a Chess King near us, and I bought clothes from them all the time. They were a little more conservative than the other ones, um, but still, I look back on some of those pictures I have. I'm like, sweet shit! Why did I buy clothes that were so fucking big? I was swimming in them, and I thought buying something big would make me look bigger because I was so scrawny. That's not how it works. That's never how it works. I have no idea how the reality of that kind of thing like functions. No, you need to wear smaller clothes to make you look bigger. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't immune to every fad. Some fads I like, oh, yeah, I'll get on board with that. Some I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I don't care who's doing it. It just looks dumb. Like the Z Cavariches, those crazy-looking pleated pants with like a thousand belt loops. I was oh, like, Jesus. these look ridiculous. I how much did it cost? 80 bucks to look like that? No thanks. Do you remember no, rolling uh, your it's pants off really Yeah, see, I never did that either. The French roll. It cut the circulation off my feet. And I was like, this is cool, but my feet hurt. I mean, I tried it once. I couldn't do it right, and it kept coming undone. So I'm like, you know what? This isn't for me. It's just, yeah, it's not. Yeah, and then you also had, it was like a look, too, because you kind of had to have the scrunchy socks, and you kind of had to have those, like, Samba Adidas. It was all part of the same ensemble, you know? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I'm not. This, it isn't me. Something just popped in my head. I don't know who made it, but do you remember the shirts with the little metal plate on it? Like this thick, heavy metal plate in the middle of the shirt or sometimes on the pants? Do you remember what company that was? Yeah, that, I, don't, 
I know what you're talking about, though, but they had those on hats, too, like a metallic something or other in the middle of a hat, and that was kind of a thing, you know. It's fucking heavy. It was so heavy. Well, you know, there was the huge metal plates on the hat. I remember those. I've seen those in a couple of movies I was watching. I think it was on, like, Demolition Man or something. Um, that was just a solid sheet. This was, like, a little block, and it would have the company's name on that little block. But if you sat down, you're like, God, my ass, this piece of metal is, like, poking into my butt. Or pulling on your shirt, stretching it out. Every time you washed it, I wonder if it started to rip the fabric. Yeah, I was about to say, it has to be tough to wash. Murder on your washing machine. Yeah, definitely. Clunk, 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 clunk. Trying to think. Uh, yeah, so, I, like, I mean, I, I could, I, I both didn't like or afford a lot of the popular fashions. I remember, like, um, like, uh, like, cardigans, like, cardigan sweaters, like, button-up cardigans and turtlenecks and mock turtlenecks and gold chains. So like and I was like, dude, it looks and often often with the French roll jeans and like the uh you know the sambas that whole look I'm like this looks so douchey. Are you yeah. kidding me? Why well, I always I was think like, of I Snow, I, the informer. Every time I think of that look, I think, oh damn, oh or what was that one guy? Um, uh, the the soul group where it's like two white guys, two black guys. Oh, uh, color me bad. Color me bad. Always reminds me of those guys. And also, they wore a lot of cross colors. They all their brightly colored, crazy looking shit, which I also thought was ridiculous. I'm like, I'm not these like super bright, like you know what I mean, vivid blue, red, green, all at once. It's like it's just too much. It's just, just too much, man. I was a victim of the Parker Lewis trend, where I wore those like almost like if someone threw up on the clothes and then some dry out, and then you button them oh. all the way to the very tip top. I was about to say, was it a silk shirt buttoned all the way to the top with the gold chain outside of the shirt, not touching, you know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't yes, have the gold I, chain, but I had those Parker Lewis shirts like crazy. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty much a decent t-shirt guy. My whole thing was like rock t-shirt. I mean, like rock t-shirts that people didn't like, you know what I mean? But that was kind of, but I, I did do the goofy haircuts. I had like a mohawk for a bit, and I had like the shaved, the shaved side 90s hair because the white wall, people would call them the shaved sides. Yeah. Which was back in really back uh, last summer, which I think is kind of on its way out now. The but, uh, I had the Tony Hawk for way after it was popular. It just was something that suited me, and as I started to lose my hair, it helped cover it up until I started doing the Clooney, and then you know, then by then it was just too far gone. The hair was gone. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was that was a big trend for it, and then it's kind of back, I guess, with like the emo bangs, I guess, sort of kids doing the little swoosh side dealy. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, it's kind kind of. It's where, like every every twenty years you you revisit you know the um, the styles and the culture of twenty years ago like in the, like in the seventies they revisited the fifties uh, in the eighties they revisited the sixties of course yeah so, like you in were the late eighties the tie dye went insane they had an infatuation with like sixties music and uh, and tie dye stuff and like I keep seeing a lot of people wearing Grateful Dead stuff I wasn't super I was aware of their songs but I, I, for the reason some reason I didn't know who sang them I was aware of like Truckin' and um, some of the other uh, Grateful Dead that songs. I just heard them on classic rock radio. And, but people were wearing the, these little, little bears. And like this little stole wearing, what is, what is this shit? Grateful Dead, man, you don't know? It's like, did you know who it was last week? I didn't see you wearing it last week. So I was like, like you know who the Grateful Dead is? Loser? Was like, how, how long did you know about it? I never saw you wear this before. Yeah, it's funny how people jump on that bandwagon like, oh, a week ago I didn't know what this was, but now I do and you're a loser for not. You know, it's like a continuing domino effect. Oh, I've been doing into him forever, for at least a week now, forever. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sure. Well, I think the Deadhead, because I haven't seen a Deadhead in forever. It was still pretty popular when I went off to college, but then it got replaced with Fish, and they're nowhere nearly as fanatic. But then it got replaced with something more disturbing, is the Juggalo. Oh, dude, that's see, I came out of that wear that way late, and it's like, you know, it's, I mean, I can see how that took off in Michigan. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like that's, seems like that's the rightful place it would take off. 
But uh, yeah, it's like, and then I'm like, Kim, what, what is this shit? And I listen, it's like, oh, this is, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't find nothing appealing of the music. No, I mean, I'm not begrudging anybody for liking them. It's just, it's so not my thing. The music is not good. Yeah. To, it's mine. You know what I mean? I know that's the subjective statement, but like, and just the, you know, the culture, the, uh, the you know, the, the, I mean, I guess, I guess with the clown makeup, very similar to Kiss. Yeah, I'm not a big not fan. Because there was Kiss fanatics and no one really mocked them. There's something about the Juggalos. I don't understand why they're chosen as a terrorist group, which is weird. Because didn't. I've met Juggalos and I don't think they're. Sometimes they're kind of douchey or they're kind of like just burned out stonies, you know. And I'm just like, eh, you're not gonna. I don't think you have a terrorist group or a hate group. Uh, people, you know, any kind of like cult following, people kind of see that as see that as threatening, so they just they put labels on things. Yeah, I, I don't see that correlation either. They're just like just the guys who likes crappy soda and not you know i mean questionably <laughs> questionably uh garbage rap music but yeah, yeah that's, that's just, a... oh they're buying too much fago there must be something up with that <laughs> <laughs> fago if you don't know is definitely a great lakes region kind of popular soda which you don't get out here yeah I, that's I, be, I only became aware of it via them like, what is this stuff man is, is it like fanta like no it's fago like what's the difference you know what i mean it's like it's, it's, got it's more crappier sugar. <laughs> I was like, crappier than Fanta. Like, yeah, it's crappier. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, other than that, there's some music trends that, like, you know, you saw every once in a while when you were a kid, you saw someone dressed as, like, Madonna or Michael Jackson and stuff like that. Like, I still remember when there was a kid in sixth grade who wore a Michael Jackson thriller jacket way after the fact, and no one wanted him to sit with him on the bus. Like, he was a freak show. And I was just like, I, you're my friend. Just sit with me. But you know what? Tomorrow you probably should never wear that again. <laughs> Yeah, see, in in '83 you could wear that, and you go to your parachute pants. In '85 you had to burn, you had to burn, you had to burn it. Yeah, that had to go away. That's the thing is those trends are so short lived. Like I remember LL Cool J in a video had his sweatpants up over one knee, and all of a sudden everybody decided that was the look for two weeks, and then it just went away. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think that's more of a, like a '90s thing. I, I I remember that. That was like you you, you had your there was these weird like thoughts about him. So you you wear your one leg up. Because somehow, this is what I've heard. I mean, you need one leg up on the man. Then I saw a lot of white people wearing it. Like, so what does it mean when you do it? I mean, I don't, are you just like, you know. So, it, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. I'm like, come on, guys. You got to see, sometimes you got to see things for what they are. Goofy. You know, there's like, and like, uh, but I did was, I mean, I did get, get on board with some things. Like, I remember I had the hyper color shirts. Like, you touched them. Uh, it would make an out imprint of your hand. Or so that's what you're supposed to think. Like, if you touch them, the color would change. Like it's like almost like mood shirts, but it didn't really even work that well. And kind of like didn't after after a couple wash stopped working. I were one. I wonder if someone had one of those shirts and um like they were uh, with their boyfriend. He was feeling her up, and then she left, and all of a sudden like you can see the warmth around the boob area, and all of a sudden, oh, what yeah, are you that, doing with that boy? You're grounded. That was kind of a taboo. Like I like so girls would grab their own breasts and like walk around. Ooh, body. But you know, so silly. But you know. I remember they had um they had shirt like like in the early nineties got made these shirts with hoods a shirt with a hood doesn't really make seem much chance if you need a hood you would just use your jacket you put on some kind of outerwear yeah I'll like sure a, I'll have a shirt with a hood button up shirt with a hood which is strange but it looked cool yeah yeah it, it didn't really make any sense but it, it seemed cool and I was on board with that term like, yeah all right you know I like hoods yeah what, why not why not a shirt I'm used to it being on jackets but yeah shirt will work yeah, what's the difference. <laughs> Uh, there's some stuff that took off that I don't know why it took off. Like, we were talking about bum equipment. 
Like, it was everywhere all of a sudden. Like, in the minute, like, 1990 hit, it was just everybody was wearing it. And two years later, no one would wear it. Like, it had burned itself out. It was like $80 for a shirt. And then by the time it got into JCPenney and Sears, you know, at 1999, no one wanted to wear the damn thing. That's the way it works with certain brands. Like, they're huge, and then they become, like, uh, for the crap stores. Like, Ocean Pacific was, like, in Macy's, and then it became in Kmart. And then, like, same with um, Bugle Boy. It's pardon oh, me, yeah. those Bugle Boy jeans you wear, like that commercial, yeah, and yeah. now they're in Kmart. <laughs> uh, Fubu, Fubu for a while was the hottest mm-hmm. thing on the planet around ninety six, ninety seven, and then everybody started wearing it, and it no longer seemed cool. Well, like certain things, I, I mean, there was like part of hip hop culture, but then it was like it was sort of like not supposed to be worn by like white people. Like, Fubu for us, by us, is really you know what I mean. If you're a white guy, you're really not supposed to wear it. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not wearing clothes that aren't that aren't marketed for me. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be that guy. You yeah. Know? I'm not gonna try to. It's it's similar to a culture that I'm not supposed to. You know, or, or that would. Or or you know, I'm not gonna try to like. Um, what's the word? You try to uh, co-opt somebody else's kind of uh, culture and style. It's never been my my kind of thing. I kind of like to do my own thing. So yeah, I, I wouldn't. And like as far as the bum equipment, I always thought that those were weird by like like kind of meathead jocks. Like it was like first of all the B period U period M period. I'm like, what is that? What does that stand for? I always wanted to know. Do you know? I have no idea what that means. I to this day I don't know. I don't know what it means. And then, but it was always a kind of seemed to be cut off midriff, and it seemed like you had to be like a weight a weightlifter or like a football player or a jock. Same with those Zubass pants. I never had those because I wasn't like a weightlifting jock kind of guy. So I figured like so people would wear the bum equipment shirt and the Zubass pants like in tandem. And I was like, well, that's not my look. That's, it also that's looks terrible. That's what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very, yeah. So, like, you know, shirt that's too short and pants that are too floppy. Everything and is everything weird. The cut-off midriff thing, um, for a small period of time, it was like what surfers would wear. You know, it was, all like, it was a kind of a California-style thing or a workout thing. But then fast forward to, like, 93, and if you're still doing it, all of a sudden it kind of turned to a – um, that's, is it, are, are you gay? I don't know what, are, you know, it kind of became like a, a thing where it's like, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, you know, it turned into a straight man thing into almost a gay man thing. Like, wait, the mustache changed, you know, it was all mad. Yeah. And then all of a sudden 1988 rolls around, no one's wearing a mustache anymore. And all of a sudden it becomes like a gay nightclub thing. Oh, yeah, it becomes, becomes, so it became a feminine, like, so like, uh, you know, like in uh, in Living Color, when they didn't hammer home the fact that they were uh, effeminate or quote unquote gay, they would tuck the shirt in or like up under, like uh, to make it like just expose their midriff. Yeah, yeah. So like, if you're a man, you you, you didn't do that. And like, yeah, with the John Waters mustache, we still have one of those. I think it's funny how the mustache has gone away. It's been turned into the wraparound goatee, but that mullet will never die. No matter where I go, where I am, I will run into one person with a mullet. Well, it's, it's had a bit of a revival a couple of years ago. It was kind of like a Euro thing. And then, but like, yeah, certain like uh, certain parts of the country, it's never, it's never left, you know. Yeah, it's weird. It's the only style that's ever survived. I will find guys like, yeah, I've had this since 1986. And I refuse to back down or try anything else. <laughs> Once in a while, you'll see one of those awkward, uh, awkward photos, like you know, awkward family photos, or like or awkward yearbook photos of like a guy with like a turtleneck, cardigan, gold chain, mullet, feathered out, and 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 a little like a dirty looking mustache. Yeah, all his together. first mustache, wow. baby's first mustache. It's just like a little wispy thing. It, this guy has it all going on in this one photo. Holy crap! You know what's weird is I think my best friend Ron actually has a photo just like that. His first mustache, mullet. And um, he, he had curly hair, so the mullet took on a whole different level. Um, 
and then with the turtleneck and gold chain. I think he has it. I should find it and, and kind of embarrass him about it. <laughs> um, the other thing that was kind of cool, and this trend actually still holds up, I think, is the surfer, like the skater. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, but like around 86, 87 is when people were wearing the brighter colors, you know, and, you know, uh, kind of a sporty look. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of around, like, you know, like the little, the, uh, the white and black check bands still kind of held up they're still around people are still wearing those maybe they've going they've kind of been in the south since like the early 80s up now but now it's crossed over from the skater world until like it's like just like normal everyday people you know everyday uh citizen you know yeah. sneaker well the socal and, uh, the socal and the miami look have always seemed cool it, it's the other styles that kind of came and gone that you're kind of like Ur! because uh i think people still are fascinated with miami and socal yeah, I mean, you don't see as many uh, pastels, of course, now as you did in the 80s. But yeah, there's, there's, certain, there's a certain kind of tropical look that still kind of holds up that you can still pull off. Um, I remember some of the surfer styles kind of went away. There was like a, there was a t-shirt company called Gotcha, which is really popular that kind of went away. And then there was also this t-shirt company called Catch It, C-A-T-C-H-I-T, like a big C, but we would always call it Cat Shit. There we go, your Cat Shit shirt. And then that, that was a... I was style for a year, and then it's like if you're still wearing a gotcha or a cat shit shirt, you're like, oh, this fucking loser, still wearing a cat shit shirt. <laughs> I never heard of that yeah. brand. That must have been something local with you guys. Uh, it, it must have been hyper regional, like you know, my my general vicinity. I mean, Ga- gotcha was a surfer company. They even had like a video game uh, for like a surf game for a little while. Yeah, yeah I they kind of TC surf went company. away. Oh yeah, I remember them. Yep. And then like uh, body glove was popular. People were wearing that outside of like. Uh, surfing like they would just bring that in like everyday gear like that living uh that the living color band not in living color to the um the comedy uh, sketch show but like living color the band uh, that the lead singer Corey glover was wearing that body glove yeah, suit yeah. that was like, was like pop people wear outside of the ocean that know? was a fucking great band and they only ever had one big hit but if you listen to their catalog you're like well that could have been a hit that could have been a hit that was a great song i never understood why they didn't take off that's weird i mean they're all like, accomplished musicians everybody in that whole band was 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 legit. I mean, the drummer was awesome. The guitarist, the guitarist was awesome. Uh, a great lead vocalist. But yeah, for whatever reason, you just couldn't um, couldn't capture that lightning in a bottle again, like like they could with that one uh, that one album. Well, I think a lot of it is because they, including like a couple other bands at that time, like Fishbone and King's X, uh, Faith No More, probably mm-hmm. being the most successful of the bunch. They were oh, well, Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers. I guess I should add to it. They were taking music into a funky area, you know, adding it uh, different layers, making it more progressive, intelligent lyrics, you know. And they had that surfer style with what they were wearing. Um, but for some reason, nobody really stuck to them until the '90s because you know we're talking all hair metal and glam coming back and that kind of. I, thing. Well, I guess the one hold, the whole one holdout being Red Hot Chili Peppers, which were big in the '90s and kind of like, yeah. you know, ma- maintain uh, maintain their fame. The uh, but the hair metal. Oh my god! I look back on some of these photos from the '80s and I'm like, holy shit! You really liked Winger. Yeah, it's weird when that when that when that went out of style. That went out of style hard. And I remember um, in the early '90s. You know, when everything was like, I was super into like, um, I guess, uh, alternative, but not like the, the postmodern alternative kind of, tra- you know, uh, progressing from new wave into like what we call alternative now. But I started dating this girl and I asked her what her, because I was really in, into music. That was my big thing. And she told me what her favorite band was. And she said, Poison. And I was like, damn, I think I may have to dump her. I mean, I really, <laughs> she's, she's cute, but I don't know. Can I date somebody who listens to Poison? Well, you know what I mean? And the funny thing is, a little known fact, my father's band, he's from Mechanics, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, 
the drum, the original drummer in his band, at least in, uh, you know, form of his band, was Ricky Rocket. Went on to be the drummer for Poison. He was he was a drummer for my dad's band in Cannonsburg for a period. How the fuck have you never told me this he, story? I just I just remembered it right now. <laughs> it's oh weird. my I don't, god! I don't... What was the name of your dad's band? <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not even sure. He had a bunch of different bands. He's a really talented musician. He just never he just never moved beyond South Central Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, was he like a bar band kind of guy? Right. Yeah, he was just into some weird progressive stuff, and like he just didn't go anywhere. He's super talented, but he just wasn't able to market his ability. Yeah, you know, and I guess guys, a lot of those guys that are super talented that want to take music into a different area uh, just don't take off because it's not a pop sound. As much as some people say, oh, I love Rush. Well, you like that one album, 2012, you know, and after that, you don't really remember any of their songs. Yeah, and I think with his drummer, you know, who became the drummer before, they didn't like the direction the band was like, what is this shit, man? We're never going to make a dime doing this kind of shit. I'm out of here. And then, you know, I mean, for, from a business standpoint, I guess it's like he made the right, you know, the right decision. Then he formed with, uh, you know, Brett Michaels and the rest of those guys from the same town, Mechanicsburg, and then you know went on to become, you know, superstardom in the eighties. You know. Yeah. The. Uh, but, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, completely lost where I was. Oh, but yeah, the, like you said, overnight it went from like hairspray and you know metal shirts and leather jackets and tore up jeans to um, flannel. And then really drab look. Everybody looked like they were just depressed. That, that, that was one wing of it. And then the other wing went to, like, the, yeah, the hip-hop gear. Yeah, so yeah. Like, a lot of people, you know, be, it's being a suburb of Philadelphia. You did have a little bit of, like, the hard rocker guys. But then you had a lot of the hip-hop, you know, fans. So yeah, we, we had, really like, didn't have a lot of hip-hop guys here. Yeah, I mean, well, the Midwest, things are a little different, you know. It's, you know, I'm sure they're a little more into rock and stuff. But um, we were, uh, yeah, like, so everybody's wearing the starter jackets was a big deal. And the starter hats that was like everyone was like you had to be somebody like but I was totally not into that like I'm not into this stuff and like I'm really you know what I mean I'm not not saying my clothes or my identity but I'm just like I'm not you know I I, I have no problem with rap I, I like some of it but I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna put on like a a hip hop costume because it's not me yeah so like so like I wear like a obscure rock shirt that no one cared about and like you know like the shame in you know and some people seem to hurt a bit in that like New Order and like you know well, other bands. Funny. I got a lot of shit for Public Enemy, but no one gave me any grief whatsoever about my third base shirt. No, none whatsoever. Pop goes a weasel, weasel goes a weasel goes pop. Fuck, I love that band. I still that is one of the best albums ever. Beyond that song, I mean, that's a really intelligent song that gets no credit, but uh, that album is just stunning, and and no one really remembers it. That's really the only song I know. I think they had another song called The Gas Face. I remember that one. Yeah, that was on the previous album. And, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really remember much of that other 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 one I heard on Yo MTV Raps. So I don't really <laughs> God, I love Yo MTV Raps. I miss that so much. <laughs> yeah, that, that was how we found out about like you know in suburbia especially. That's how you found out about like up and coming cool cool rap music, and then like you wanted to hear about find out up and coming cool heavy metal music, Headbangers Ball, and, and like alternative music, and you know and uh, postmodern. You had to put on 120 minutes. Like MTV was like you know was your source back then in free internet days. That's how you found out about that. Oh, shit. You know, we should do a whole episode about, like, MTV, because there's so much stuff during that era, the 80s and 90s, that's worth discussing. Uh, I, I could spend 20 minutes on remote control alone. Mm. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that, that, was, that was a huge show. Totally. The, um, there's one thing you wrote in here about uh, the polo preppy trend, which kind of has never died away. It just these people got older. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your uh, socioeconomic status, I guess. So I guess it never went away if you're, like, rich and hanging out in country clubs you're still wearing that stuff but for a while like certain movies you see with the popped up collars and sunglasses and then you wanted to emulate oh do what they're doing like if you are rich enough to afford a lacoste shirt or whatever uh or la tibra then you'd, you'd have one of those you know 
But uh, yeah, they were really big back then. And Boarnay, which I've never had, they were like a, a French, uh, I guess, sunglasses or style thing. I see people had those. I never owned any of those. I remember seeing those on some of the richer kids. You know, yeah. Or well, there's I, the uh, there's well, the um, side trend with the Top Gun, Miami Vice, like that took over the preppy where it became like super fashion with like parachute pants and members only jackets and aviator glasses. Yeah, see, I remember the, the members-only stuff being more popular in the early 80s. Like, I remember my, my uncles had those. And I, and I would ask them, what do you remember of? What's the members? It's just the name of it. It's, it's just, just a brand. I'm like, okay, well, well, what club is it? Like, you know, it's just the name of the company. I'm like, well, what do you remember of? I don't understand. <laughs> so, like, forget. Yeah, I remember kids bugging me about that. I was like, so what, what, what is the member? I was like, I don't, I don't know. It's just a label. Well, that's stupid. I was like, you wouldn't get it, man. It's fashion. <laughs> There's a picture of me when I was in fourth grade with a black uh, parachute pants on and a black members only jacket. I was so covered in plastic. I'm surprised I didn't suffocate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never, I never had a pair of parachute pants. I always wanted a pair, but I never had a pair. I remember they had like a lot of weird, weirdly placed zippers all over the place. But yeah, I mean, some some styles I wanted, but I couldn't afford to, or had I couldn't afford to get them, or I had to rely on my mom, but she would just say no, and I had no way to get them myself. Yeah, so, I don't think by I the time I got. I didn't have legitimate parachute pants. I didn't find this out until later that I had some sort of cheap plastic knockoff. They weren't really parachute. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the Michael Jackson jackets were like that, too, like the fake leather. Yeah. yeah. I remember a lot of kids in my grade school had those, you know. All right, so... Like, uh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I remember also a lot, like, uh, which kind of came back, but, like, people had, like, buttons all over their shirts, you know what I mean? Or, like, a couple buttons on their lapel of their jacket, whatever. Now now that came back, and I think it's left again. Like, that was kind of a big deal. In the 80s, too, you'd have your Elvis Costello or Billy Idol button, you know, yeah. maybe one, two, or three of them, you know. Do you remember when the stupid suede jackets took off, like, around 91, 92? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, and I remember, like, not only were they expensive, you'd be very careful. You couldn't, you couldn't get them wet, and they were getting, like, what, what is the purpose of the jacket, then? Like, I can wear it, but only when the ideal condition is right. So if it starts raining, I have to take off my jacket and put it under my shirt. This yeah. is ridiculous. That's what to do. I was like, wait, cows are outside all the time. It doesn't seem to ruin it. Why does it ruin it the second? <laughs> right, totally. All right, so this uh, brings us to the end of our discussion. Now it's time to discuss the stuff suggested to us by our listeners. Um, Andrew just suggested the fact that we used to tuck these huge, big T-shirts into our pants. Why would you tuck a T-shirt into your pants? Every time I see this, my dad used to do this, and it looks bizarre. I was just about to say that that's such a dad thing to do. But I see anyway tucking their T-shirt into their jeans is like fucking... Look at this! Look at this dad look. Are you kidding me? Uh, and I, I picture them wearing like white sneakers, like crisp white sneakers to go with that combo. They're all Asics, you know, the, the New Balance right. the dad shoe. <laughs> with like, you know, with like enough, with enough, enough uh, sock exposed between the shoe and the pant legs. So. Yeah. Um, Lori suggests uh, the silk shirts. That that it, I went to Chess King. I had a lot of silk shirts. I don't know why. I, it's kind of a sidebar to the Parker Lewis trend. Did you ever wear silk shirts? Mm-hmm. That never did. Never owned one. Um, I remember seeing them, but what what uh, deterred me from getting they were, like sweat was always so noticeable. Oh so, yeah. Like, um, and, well, you always get but, the cheapo ones that were part silk, part rayon. And anytime anybody had an ounce of armpit sweat, you could see it. Oh. I guess it would you would you would kind of get rid of that if you wore an undershirt. But sometimes even still, I'm like, look, I you know hygiene was so critical in like high school and junior high. You know, like, not to me. I didn't know this that I would go to gym <laughs> class and I wouldn't take my shower because I was too embarrassed because I was like five foot nothing. And uh, I wouldn't take a shower. And then one day someone is sitting next to me at one of our little conventions and uh, he goes, 
uh, dude, you smell horrible. Please take a shower. <laughs> and after that, I became obsessed with showers. I was taking like two a day. It's uh, nonsense. But in my high school, we had a pool. We had a pool, and we had, I had swim class first period. And then, like, even though you took a shower afterwards, you still like you still smell like chlorine for the rest of the yeah. day. And I was like, I was like, oh, you said swimming, huh? I was like, I can tell because uh, you stink like chlorine. I was like, fucking great. That's awesome. <laughs> I um this. The, the chess king thing was uh, not just for the silk shirts or the huge over baggy, baggy shirts or whatever. I bought a shirt once that I thought was really cool. It was all these different multicolors. Do you remember like the shirts where it was all these ups, like, off-center patterns? Like you get a huge chunk of red and a little chunk of blue and then a huge chunk of yellow. There are all these oddball colors. Yeah, like, yeah I remember seeing them. I, like, I never owned them, but I, I, I do recall them. Yeah, and I bought one brand new and didn't wash it like the instructions said, and I fell asleep in it with no T-shirt underneath. I woke up, my skin was the same color as that shirt. Purple, green, orange. Awesome. Yeah, I guess, like, I never really owned any of that stuff, but I guess if you had any kind of cross-color or anything, you really had to, like, have some color stay bleached and made sure you didn't you never, like, wash them with any other whites or anything because yeah. you bleed the rest of your uh, laundry. I ruined a lot. Did you ever stone wash your, shoe, your uh, pants or acid wash them? I bought stuff. Well, or I should say, my mom bought me stuff because that some some stuff that was such a uh, big style that almost all the clothes were sold that way. Well, like so, she bought me some stone wash stuff or acid wash stuff because that was everywhere. So yeah, I mean, some mom... things are like such a big style that's it's everywhere. It's not like you can go. You know what I mean, it's like it's like just come commonplace. Buying tore up pants is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Just let them wear out on their own. That's how you're supposed to do it. And you buy, you pay like 150 dollars for these pants that are pre tore up. And it makes no sense because they're good for me ten more washes, and that's it. Yeah, I, I never understood manufactured character in clothing. It's like you know, that that's like your badge of honor. Is like yeah. you know, you earn you earn those rips or tears or like you know what I mean. That's like, yeah, I never understood buying from this pre-ripped and all like, torn apart. Like, what's this gonna be good for like a month before it falls apart completely? The uh, my parents tried to buy normal pants for cheap, like you know, just normal everyday dark blue, which no one was wearing because it wasn't cool. Uh, and they tried to bleach them. And my mom didn't understand how to bleach it properly, so she just poured bleach in there. So they went from being dark blue to uh, baby blue. All my pants were baby blue, and I had to wear those for the next few <laughs> Yeah, you, you, want, you want like the kind of like, uh, just like the average looking denim. But you don't want a hard, dark blue like denim. Yeah, you, you, don't want, you also don't want like the soft, like, uh, I don't know, like Wrangler or Lee style or bad yeah. denim either. You know what I mean? You, some kind of you want a happy medium somewhere in between if you look at my pants from that era they all look like mom pants you know during the 90s moms are wearing these pa uh, pastel shirts and then this like baby blue um high-waisted pant and that's what my pants all looked like well it's so weird for the longest time like jeans used to be expensive especially levi's now they're like kind of price points come down well i didn't have jeans country where they're made for nothing yeah well, I mean, I, but I didn't have a pair of jeans until I think maybe my freshman year of high school. Like, all throughout elementary school and middle school, I just had, like, you know, like, quote-unquote slacks from, like, Kmart, you know, uh, with, like, an elastic waistband. I didn't think anything of it until somebody pointed out the fact, like, dude, you don't ever wear jeans? I was like, I don't, do I? I guess I never do. I didn't thought about it. But, yeah, there's no reason. I wear them. I just, I, 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 I wear my mom buys. Uh, one of the other suggestions was, this one I don't remember whatsoever, Patrick suggested discussing the Tasmanian Devil tattoos, like the urban hip-hop versions of classic cartoon characters. Yeah, I remember seeing those. Like, yeah, for a while, like, there was, like, um, I used to remember seeing uh, Looney Tunes characters wearing, like, uh, people would have, like, on a t-shirt, and then, like, their pants would be sagged down and their underwear exposed, and they'll be, like, like in hip-hop clothes. Like, so it'd be, like, the Tasmanian Devil, 
uh, Bugs Bunny and maybe Daffy Duck wearing all like like hip hop gear. So like it's a t-shirt of that. Yeah. And I remember seeing that. This is corny, but as far as the tattoos, that was of course you had to be older. And um, I do remember seeing some guys with those. I'm sure they're regretting that now, but. And then, of course, uh, the late 90s, everybody had a tribal everything, you know, band. Oh, my God. That was ridiculous. What tribe are you part of? Um, what? Why do you, why do you have that? I don't know. I saw, I saw like, Pamela Anderson had one. It looked cool. Oh, yeah, the full barbed wire. Hers is a barbed wire band. Everybody had some kind of band. There was, so there was a tribal band, the barbed wire band. And even dudes had tramp stamps back then. And now <laughs> they're, they're definitely running out now. Are people still doing tramp stamps or has it moved on? No. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some people are, you know, but it's like, it's not, it's definitely not as in, in style as it was, you know, that's like one of like, yeah, I think a lot of people are getting um, a tattoos on spots that are notoriously painful. Cause it's almost like a badge of honor. Like a lot, like girls are getting it behind the ear, on the collarbone, um, on the inside of the arm, on the foot. So I see a lot of people getting those because it's traditionally very painful. Yeah. So like, cause of course back, back, the day you'd have a band but it wouldn't connect so like these tough these tough guys with big biceps wouldn't connect it around the inside of their arm like, how tough are you man you can't you can't deal with that pain you know but now nowadays we're going out of the way to get it in, in painful spots even girls show like yeah it, i just I hate tough. needles you have a tattoo right i got a couple um i got uh let me see one two three i got four tattoos on my yeah, forearms I hate um I hate so much I do too, but it's weird. Like I always pass out if I get like needles in my veins. Yeah. Like if I gotta give blood, I, I pass out every time. But it's not like the same thing. So it goes, it goes in the skin and out. It's not like it's you. It's not. It's not going into veins. Nothing's intravenous. That that skews me out. Anything intravenous skews me out. <laughs> but like and get, getting getting shots never gave me a problem. Like if I was getting a tetanus shot, that was okay. But anything going into the vein, I could fucking oh, I could feel it. Like especially like one of those. Butterfly needles, the wide, the wide gate. Yeah, yeah, shit. Uh, uh, yeah, tattoos, tattoos, a little different. It's not the same kind of. It, it, just, it just really feels like it's burning. It feels did, like somebody's burning your. Did you ever get your ears pierced? Never did. No, it's yeah. never been a. It's never everything that I wanted to do. I still have the the hole. It, it will never go away. It's I haven't wore that earring in I don't know how long. I haven't worn probably since two thousand one, and yet it's still. It's still there. It's a little chunk of cartilage. And um, well, I think it's funny is how the earrings changed. Do you remember when the cross earring was just everybody was wearing the dangly earrings? Yep, that was really uh, really popularized by the Lost Boys. The Kiefer Sutherland's character had that. Yeah, and it was like, Jump Street. <laughs> and he also had it. He also had the spiked hair with the mullet tandem together. I'm like, I thought that was so cool. Look at that cool. That is so cool. The dangling earring, the spiky hair, and the mullet. That is cool, man. That Actually, is that's cool still kind of cool. If someone came up to me yeah. dressed like that, I'd still be like, "You scare me, but you're also cool looking." I, I gotta admit, even to this day, it, it doesn't it doesn't look horrifyingly embarrassing. He, he his character definitely pulls it off. Yeah, some guys wear it, and you're like, "Oh no, that doesn't work for you at all." What was Van Dam thinking in Hard Target, where that greasy mullet, where it's like a Jerry curl and a mullet? <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to be a little self-aware. You kind of have to know what looks good. You have to take a hard look at yourself in the mirror. Like, can I? Am I pulling this off? You know, yes or no. <laughs> sometimes it's all. Sometimes it's all about confidence. If you believe, you can do it. But sometimes it doesn't matter how much confidence you have in your look. It's just not working. It's like, no, forget it. It's not working for me. I'm sure you know. that we've missed probably a thousand other trends that should be discussed. Uh, but we have hit our hour point. The last thing we'll discuss is um, Mindy suggested. Uh, slap bracelets and swatch watches. No, I had I had both of those. I did have a swatch watch. I you know, I even had a swatch watch a couple years ago when I moved to um, Portland for the first time in 2003. There was a swatch uh, store right right by Pioneer Square, and now I think it's like a green leaf smoothie shop or something. 
But uh, yeah, I I I loved Swatch. I thought they were super cool. I had you had the Swatch little band detector, the little T thing that went across. I thought those were super cool. Uh, slap bracelets were really big in um, elementary school, but they banned them because I don't know. Like there was some kind so of hard. yeah, and then like I guess sometimes the metal gets exposed out of the fabric, and people were cutting themselves. Really? And I think people were afraid that kids were gonna like accidentally slice the wrist, like they're they're like you know underneath and like kill themselves somehow. Holy shit! I, you know it's. Yeah, I, that never happened, mind you. But I think they were just scared that was going to happen because sometimes the metal become, you know, the little jagged metal will come out, exposed outside of the fabric, and you get a little tiny cut from, you know, people were yeah people. The eighties was like the, the like the decade of like safeguarding the children against everything. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, we were the last gasp of the uh, uh, let's have wooden uh, stuff everywhere instead of plastic. Let's not have sawdust. We just had ground, you know, like hard ground, um, sometimes gravel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ran around with toy guns that looked just like real guns and shit yeah. like that. And it started to come in around 87, 88 is when people started getting more safety oriented. By the time the 90s come around, you know, it's just like, oh, that's totally different. Parental advisory and stuff on every album. Yeah. So oh we, gotta protect, we have to protect the children from everything. Yeah. From themselves. I don't understand that at all. Um, is there anything else that you want to discuss before we head out? You know, there's probably like, I mean, like the 80s was the year of like fastly evolving trends but i remember like there was like a horizontal stripe polo shirts uh rugby shirts were kind of a thing back then but yeah i I can't really besides the oversized glasses i saw a lot of people wearing um like where the frame is really big you know what i mean yeah yeah that was like an early 80s tv shows everything was big the shoulder pads um you know especially those glasses sweet shit those are big and those are kind of back now they're kind of popular again well, I just watched Stranger Things on Netflix, which if you haven't seen it, it's brilliant. Really good show. It's on Netflix. It's like a it's like sci. It's like kind of X Files meets Goonies sci-fi show, but like they really did such a great job recreate like with with the fashion department and like it's just like it, it's like it's 1983 perfectly. So they have the glasses, clothing. It's like oh my god, this is perfect. They did a really good job with, with, with as far as the uh, the costume and set design on that show. Damn it, I missed place in the end. So Funny enough, it takes place in uh, Hawkins, Indiana. I don't know no if that's shit. real town or not. <laughs> Indiana. Really good show. All right, everybody. Um, I don't know what our next topic will be. We'll try to think of something. I think the MTV might be a good one. Maybe talk about, like, um, you know, how it started and when it started to fall apart with TRL and stuff like that. But, um, oh, you know, uh, I forgot. My last thing that I wanted to mention was the fad of the Gilligan hat around 97, 98. And I really loved it. And I feel ashamed a little bit that uh, I would wear a Gilligan hat today. Yeah, that was. Uh, I remember seeing those, uh, especially when I would go down, like down the, the, the yeah, down the shore, the Jersey Shore. Lots of other things would go to the South Jersey Shore, uh, you know what I mean, to vacation. And like a lot of people had these um, clam digger style um, Hawaiian shorts. I think they're called jams, and they were really popular back then. But, but we would also wear those with the um, those those Gilligan hats, like you said. And like yeah, I, I had one of those too when I was a kid. I thought this was super cool. They kind of brought them back in the '90s, but they were like a bucket hat, like almost like a, like a fishing hat. Yeah, yeah. That was really popular, kind of like it with hip hop style. Then that kind of went away. But yeah, I, I do remember those, and I, I I also thought they were cool. But you know, like like the fast like the fastly evolving uh, trends of the uh, the '80s. They they, they wouldn't they last one in a few months, and then you know they were decidedly uncool really fast. All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. You can find all our episodes there as well as the other podcasts that we do. And thank you, Tony, for joining me for this episode. My pleasure as always, sir. Thanks for having me.